喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵，好熟。Y'all ready for this? This is our first episode since we've started the show. That Derek and I have not only been in the same place, but the first episode that we actually have two motherfucking guests on this week. And all four of us in the same room. So we Yay. apologize. We apologize ahead of time for the interesting sound quality. With no editing. <laughs> with four whole spooky cats. <laughs> with oh, four, yeah. yeah, four cats in this house right now. Which is totally appropriate to have a house full of cats, because this week we are doing 1977's House. Or in in, uh, in Japan, it was what? Hausu? Hausu. Hausu. And like I mentioned, we have two extra special guests this week. So if y'all want, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Lauren Wilson, and I am very excited to be here. Yay! And she is my favorite sister-in-law. The best sister-in-law, <laughs> as many would say. Well, Katie's going to get so mad. <laughs> Katie doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> Otherwise, please five-star us on iTunes, Katie. I Katie is your biggest fan, and what you just said is really insensitive. <laughs> Katie, five stars on iTunes. I am uh, Jonathan Nowacki, a uh, longtime friends with Derek and Aaron. We went to college together, and uh, now I'm house-doing this guy's right now. Yay! And of course, your, your spook boys, Aaron and... Myself, Derek, are here like usual. What's up, everybody? 360 No Scope, we're going live this week. Hope the motherfuckers are ready. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. All right. Um, Bangarang by, uh, by Skrillex plays in the back. Doritos, Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> Or just go like fucking morning zoo with like fart noises and boings yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, the anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, we are way too full of Mexican food, and half of us are getting caffeinated, the other half of us are getting drunk. Um, so, this is going to be a great manic episode for a great manic movie. Um, but before we get to that, let's take a quick moment to talk about anything horror related we have consumed in the past week or so. So, Let's start with our guests. Uh, Lauren, if you want to go ahead and kick it off, have you listened to, played, read anything horror-related? Watched. Um, even talk about a little bit of like your your experiences in general like with horror genre. Because yeah. I, okay. I, I know you might even have more experience with horror movies than I do. So I have a very selective horror movie experience. I got into horror uh, when I was a teenager. It was very much what our friend group did because the couples could kind of snuggle during the movies and the assholes could scare people during the movies. It was a win-win. But uh, no one in my family really likes horror. And then when I was an undergrad, I took a class in the philosophy of art and ended up choosing the movie Hostel for my final presentation where we had to pick something and either defend its status as a work of art based on two of the theories we learned or um, defend its status as a good work of art. At that point, it, it was like a switch flipped. I just was so interested in horror and horror films and really got even further into the pro-torture porn genre. Uh, really? Horror. Yes. Okay. Which I think part of it was just the timing. Uh, a big part of our friend group was the Saw movies. Sure. So I was like a champion of the Saw movies, and it just kind of came with that. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was really my introduction to horror. And with um, that, have you do you continue to enjoy like Eli Roth's work since then, or have you kind of like branched uh, out from him and 
gone through other subgenres? I've branched out quite a bit in just looking at really at other subgenres, looking at kind of the, the common features that a lot of subgenres share, a lot of like the differences between international horror films and trying to analyze it uh, from like a philosophical standpoint along that sure, same yeah. line. Because there are as many differences there are, I mean, I'm sure you guys have discussed this, a ton of similarities exist too. Yeah. So that's really my background. As far as things I've seen lately, I did just play the game Observation, which is a horror game. Uh, it came out just a couple months ago, and it's about uh, an astronaut stuck on a space station where there's a... The way the trailer presented it, it was like a rogue AI. And that's what I kind of went into it thinking, okay, you're the astronaut and you have the, you know, I can't let you do that. Dave AI that's trying to actively work against you and you're trying to survive. And when I turned around and actually played it, it ended up being, I guess, spoilers for observation in three, two, one about aliens. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, it quite the turn. It wasn't quite as interesting to me. And I think it was because I went into it thinking it's gonna be the rogue AI. Right. But yeah. Overall, it was a really great game. Like the level of detail and design was fantastic. So yeah, it, and actually, one thing they did that was really cool is you end up playing and tiny spoiler as the AI. Like you are the AI, and it's the astronaut kind of telling you what to do to keep them alive. Is this mostly a text-based game? Not. Or it's like a com you're like having conversations back and forth, or is it actually like you are somebody first person walking around? So you occupy either camera within the space station or there's this little like robot orb where you can go okay. and like fix things. And this is not the game I was thinking. There was some game a while back that I remember and it might have been when the Apple Watch first came out that like mm -hmm. there was a text-based game like that where you were like an astronaut stranded and you're communicating back and forth with something oh. and it was a game that you could play on your Apple Watch back and forth. But yeah, that's I, and that sounded like it at first but I, I guess not because what you just described mm -hmm. is not at all what I seem to remember. Yeah, it <laughs> Overall, it, it's a game that I definitely enjoyed it. I don't think I'll ever play it again. Okay. But from the trailer, it seemed like it was going to be much more heavily into the horror aspect of it. It was more creepy. It didn't really scare me too much. And I think for a couple of reasons, just one, and I know you guys are different. Aliens don't do much for me, just sure. in general. I'm, I'm kind of like that as well. Garrus yeah. does a lot for you. Yeah. Garrus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Are we really going to go? Oh, yeah. I mean, Mass Effect is horrific, but for very different reasons. I'm going to need a minute. Cough, cough, the ending. Are you all about, like, cloacas and... Oh, God. Are you, are you, you know into what's, that? What's really bad, I did not even, like, translate that aspect of the relationship. Yeah. I just imagined us, like, going on cute space adventures. And then I googled Turians, and the first thing you pull up is, like, an anatomical drawing. And they talk about metal exoskeletons and cloacas. And I was like, I did not, I did not put thought into this. <laughs> My sex life is now an eldritch abomination. Yeah, so. so Heather's big into that game as well. Like she's a hardcore Mass Effect fan too, and she always loved like the Garrus relationship. But we always joked about that because like. He has fucking mandibles like a predator. Yeah. And so, like, when you're making out with him, like, how does that work? Is it just, like, those, like, opening? He's just like, mm, numb. You know? like, a weird, like, bird tongue coming I'm out. Just like, imagining, like, a horseshoe crab eating something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, even the animators don't quite seem to know what to do with it. Because yeah. it kind of just gets very fuzzy when they have kissing scenes. So. Ugh. In the horror aspect, aliens don't do much for me. But all in all, it was like a really great game. So well, and then earlier this year, you and I definitely like had longer conversations about 
the Resident Evil 2 remake, which I've already gushed yes. about on this on this podcast, but you really enjoyed that as well. Um, and you've played a good deal of horror games since getting in back, like mm-hmm. kind of back into video games. Again. I've played a few. I've noticed I'm much more sensitive to horror video games than I am to movies. And I do think there's an aspect of if I'm watching a movie and there's a scary hallway and the camera is moving down the scary hallway, I watch it and I'm fine with it. But if I have to physically move even my character down the scary hallway, it's like, yeah, no, that's it's scary. Why? I'm not doing that. So I get maybe 10 minutes into a lot of horror games. Did, did I show you PT? You did. Yeah, that's Briefly, like... Yeah. Yeah, that's like the scariest game ever you, made, basically. You remember that day when I left the room? That was when you showed me PT. <laughs> You did want to talk about Firefly Funhouse stuff this morning, too. I did. Oh, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. Yeah, the other thing I think I watched that I really enjoyed was The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. That, it got me. I I refuse to watch it because it just seems way too scary. Haven't I watched it? That was one of my favorite things from last year. And I'm super psyched about the next season. Yes. And I'm really fucking pumped for Dr. Sleep. Yeah, well, and I love what they did. Like, yes, there were amazing scares, and I love all of the aspects of having the ghosts in the background, which once you start to notice them, it's just, yeah. ugh. But it actually was surprisingly poignant. Oh, yeah. It actually oh, yeah. It made me cry. All the character stuff, and that's amazing. Exactly, and I love the way that they represent siblings as adults, and yeah. the way you interact, particularly when you're talking about iffy things that happen when you're a kid. Yeah. And the way that, like, recollections are different, the way that individuals occupying roles within the family are different. So, yeah. like, the oldest ones... Or just how your role, like, like, your, like, relationships change from when you were kids to adults. Exactly. And I mean, I'm the oldest of four boys, and I definitely know what that's like, because, like, my youngest brother and I are really close now, mm-hmm. but, like, we couldn't fucking relate about anything until he was, like, a teenager, because there was just too much of a gap between us. Yes, exactly. So, so like it, yeah. yeah all, all that character stuff in that show is fucking amazing. It was. I, the only thing I will say, it did take me about two episodes to get into it because every single one of those white women looked exactly the same. I was yeah. just like, like, who is who? Yeah, is it's this? a family full of just like plain brunette women. <laughs> yes, but once you're able to distinguish who is who and you learn their names, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah this. I'm on and board. I will say on that note, that show did a really good job of the fact that like, okay, here is a family of like six people. Mm-hmm. Or no, there were like five kids, right? There were two boys and three girls. Yeah, and okay, so dad. five kids and the parents. So that's like seven white people, young and old. So 14 white people in the main cast, but basically the entire rest of the supporting cast were like people of color somehow or another. Mm-hmm. So it still found a decent way to kind of balance that out and make you not just feel completely like you're watching, you yeah, know, something you know, from LL, the 80s. Yeah, yeah. L.L. Bean commercial or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> I gone horribly wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those are the two main things that I've consumed horror-wise lately. Awesome. Well, how about you, Nowaki? I have consumed almost no horror media in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't like movies. I don't like horror. I don't like movies in general, like just the concept of them. Not a huge fan. So I really don't have a ton of... uh, Well, thanks thanks for guessing on our horror movie podcast. Yeah, I know. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've had some experience with horror. I've played a couple of horror video games um, back in the day. Silent Hill, 
We had a conversation the other day about Resident Evil 4 and how the first village opening yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. And also you feel completely helpless. Yeah. Um, so I've done that. I played the first five minutes of Resident Evil 7 in VR and then turned that off pretty quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't have much experience with horror in general. I've uh, never really watched any horror movies growing up. I know I've told you about this before, Mansfield, but uh, I remember as a kid seeing certain scenes from movies that in retrospect are going to be, you know, kind of hilarious, but at the time absolutely scarred me. Terrifying, yeah. Yeah, and one of them was, it was actually a comedy movie that was like a comedy horror movie where this guy had his uh, head spiked to the ground with a pickaxe or something. So we figured out what that was because Mm -hmm. you mentioned that on Facebook and I was like, oh shit, I don't know what that is. That's Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but as a kid, I just specifically saw that scene. I think there was another scene in X-Files, maybe, that I remember from whenever I was a kid where somebody's fever kept getting higher and higher and then they caught on fire. Um, <laughs> that scarred me as a kid, so I, I will stay say, away from horror altogether. I will say X-Files as a kid was pretty terrifying sometimes. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. But I did read a lot of Goosebumps books growing up. Uh, so that, that counts. Was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about that literally the last episode with Crystal yeah. um, about the Goosebumps. That was definitely Goosebumps. a gateway for a lot of people our age like yeah. in general. Well, yeah. I never went any farther than that. I typically don't like to consume any media that's longer than an hour and a half in one sitting. <laughs> so I'm getting like that the older I'm getting, which is kind of bad for me being like such a movie person. But yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of times now I'm just like, oh, this is over 90 minutes? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have things to do. I have video games to play, really. That's just about it. (laughs) Um, Well, one of the funniest moments in college for me that I attribute to you mostly, because it really was all like your brainchild, your idea, was getting another friend of ours uh, named Farmer. I have all the Fatal Frame games and getting him to play it while he was drunk. Yeah, and playing Pale Frame 2, which is might be the scariest game of all time, arguably. And us just sitting around for two or three hours watching him fumble around this haunted village trying to fight ghosts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good times. Is Fatal Frame the one where you are the girl with, like, a camera? Yes, yep. and you exercise okay. ghosts that are trying to murder you with the camera. No, that's really... Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming out with a third one. Hey, they, that's technically kind of horror, so mm-hmm. there you go. I've wanted to play Fatal Frame for a while, but that's one that like I don't want to have to dig up an old system so to play somehow. Like if they put that on iOS or like PS4, done. I'd, I'd play it in a heartbeat. The downside to that are those games are a little hard to come by. Like yeah. if you want to get a copy of it, you're going to be paying some money. They're kind of collectors. I'm pretty now. sure that Fatal Frame, Fatal Frame Two, and Crimson Butterfly have been re-released on the PS4. Okay. I might be wrong. It's either PS4 or PS3, but they're on one of those systems. Yeah, I think PS4 Marketplace. I'm down. I'll get them. Can, I think you can yeah, get them on PS3 because the, I haven't seen them on PS4. They do have a PS2 Classic section of the PS4, and I be, could be completely wrong, but I know I've seen them recently browsing yeah, one might. of those shops, but I have both my PS3 and PS4 hooked up right now. That so. might okay. be. Because I, I own all the physical copies, and now I'm keeping the physical copies just really for kind of collector's value. and. Those games always held a special place in my heart, like growing up and, and enjoying horror. I even went as far as buying a uh, modded Switch, or not, I'm sorry, a modded Wii originally, and then buying a Japanese copy of Fatal Frame 4, which was only released in Japan, and getting a English patch for it 
so I can play the fourth one, which I never played before. So I will say, I think I have your physical copy of one because mm-hmm. you loaned it to me. And I think I got three minutes in where, again, I was walking down a spooky hallway and something <laughs> walked by the end of the hallway and I quit. So. Just nipped out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's PS2 graphics. So that that, shows, that game accomplished a lot with the graphic capability that it had at the time. All right, cool. Well, Derek, how about you? Um, on that note, so one of, like I wanted to bring up comics again because uh, I, uh, I got a large chunk of comics read the last week or so. And one that I don't think I brought up on the show before... I'm surprised I haven't because I've been reading it for the last handful of like two years maybe is this comic from Image called The Beauty and it's written by Jeremy Hahn and Jason A. Hurley and the artist is also Jeremy Hahn and the, the premise is simple it's basically that it takes place in our world however it's if an STD or an STI that instantly made you beautiful and sexy just appeared. And so people start like purposely seeking out these people that have that, that are like the beautiful people having sex with them unprotected so they can become like perfect models themselves. Within all that, all this horrific shit starts happening because the comic sort of jumps to different viewpoints and it tackles different stories throughout the world as all this stuff is going on. So you have like a little bit of crime thriller drama going on, like stuff like it it kind of mixes in like Silence of the Lambs and things like that with like serial killers that are hunting down the beauties to the point where it's almost like sort of almost like scanners where uh, you're having like corporate espionage and that kind of horror where sometimes people will just spontaneously combust like these people who have this STD will spontaneously combust and there's like cover-ups and things like trying to cover up like what is actually causing this and what the disease actually does to people and all the covers for it are all horrific because all the covers are basically like picture a dried out husk of a beautiful person and just like all the all the liquid is sucked out of their body so like these it's like always uh it's always like a a body that like there's no eyes in the socket that mouth is like open like mid-scream and it was like as if it if the person just spontaneously combusted and that's like always the covers that was what uh kind of like so charlie sheep yeah (laughs) basically but that that's kind of what got me to check out the first issue and i love the first issue and i've been reading it since then and it's now i think it's close to being to issue 30 and they've been taking breaks here and there as they go they put it out like uh like every time they finish a story arc they'll take a break and then they'll put out more that one i wanted to bring up just because i'm surprised i haven't already and then i think three out of the four of us can uh, can talk a little bit about this one uh i want to just go out and say that uh bray wyatt's the theme might be the most creative thing that wrestling has done since the undertaker it is monstrous it is generally horrific in some ways it is entertaining as hell bray wyatt is a creative genius for the things he's been able to do with his own character i didn't think he could get any creepier and any more original than swamp cult leader and he proves me wrong yet again. Um, I know I brought up the the Firefly Funhouse already, but it was nice to actually see this entity called The Fiend that he's made up, this persona for himself, actually wrestle in a match. And he kicked the living shit out of Finn Balor at SummerSlam, and it was very cathartic uh, as a Bray Wyatt fan. Can I interject here real quick? Yes. And while we are on the topic of horror and Finn Balor, Finn Balor got married today in shorts and suspenders. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, at the time of this recording, he got married in shorts, everyone. Um, but yeah, like everything from the remix of his old theme to the lantern that he carries out to the ring now being his own severed head instead of like the creepy lantern he was coming out with is just amazing. And then Tom Savini being the guy who like made his costume and made his mask, he just nailed all the right bullet points for being an amazing horror supernatural character in wrestling of all things. I mean, I was telling Lauren and, and Jonathan earlier today as we were, because we showed Lauren all the Firefly Funhouse episodes and then we showed her the match with Finn Balor at SummerSlam. And I, I was just telling them, I was like, if I saw this back when I watched this when I, in 1998, 99, like during the Attitude Era, I mean, Kane sort of scared me a little bit as a kid. Bray Wyatt would have given me nightmares. I wouldn't be able to sleep for like two weeks if I saw that as a kid. See, yeah, I can't imagine being a kid and just having that pop up on screen, especially with the Fireflies lead in. Yeah. It's so, it's so well, well I mean, done. And towards the end of the, the last few vignettes of the Firefly Funhouse, like there's just jump scares of The Fiend like throughout that all the time. And I, I, get, I don't know why the jump scares don't bother me like, like a normal horror movie would do but i mean people were posting on twitter like all over twitter like oh thanks bray my my child is legitimately scarred for life and won't watch wrestling anymore because of you (laughs) (laughs) yeah like this is kind of a thing that even now is a little bit ahead of its time and hey wwe don't fuck up bray a second time because you really fucked it up the first time and this is the best thing that's happened to y'all in a little while, so don't fuck it up a second time. I would argue the best thing that's happened to them in a long time is Velveteen Dream. I mean, that's that's a pretty good point. I mean, Velveteen is a great... <laughs> Velveteen Dream is amazing. See, maybe if he I has... I know you own. know nothing about that's wrestling. That's what I say. You, you say Velveteen Dream, and I'm just thinking, like... It's basically Prince. Okay, I was about to say, I was just thinking, like, David Bowie. No, this is... Like, Mark Bolin, like, full glam rock kind of bullshit, but yeah, Prince, Prince works. Velveteen yeah. Dream is like Prince with more career. Charisma. <laughs> yeah, we're being dead serious. Yeah. <laughs> See, maybe if they gave him his own children's show vignette, then he could get better. I but cannot imagine that, a Velveteen Dream Fire Firefly Funhouse. I mean, Firefly Funhouse is already like Pee Wee Herman's uh, show mixed with like I don't fucking know it. Like so, Pennywise. If this is wrestling, is Velveteen Dream basically like? Prince on like full Hulk steroids, or is it just like a dude who's princess size, like fucking like Jack. little little Dr Pepper or whatever his name is? Like that's all I'm imagining. It's like a little dude like that. No, he's like, no, he's probably what Patrick Clark I think is in there. Yeah, he's, he's he's in good shape. Yeah, he's probably six foot oh, six foot one if I had to guess just from what he looks like on. Uh, okay, on and yeah, I, I forget that I'm literally sitting in front of a computer. Yeah, I just, just look like, at Velveteen Dream. Okay, yeah, yeah all right, right. sure. He's I'm great. down with this. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, he's wonderful. He would fit right in in-house, actually, now that I think about it. Totally. He he could be a character on, like, Friday the 13th Part 6, or he could be a character <laughs> on, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and I think he, 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 way. he is a JoJo's He's character. a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure character. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. So I do keep having moments where we say house and I think of the TV show, but I think that statement still applies. Like, he could be a character on house or house. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else? Um, and also, too, I did want to give a, a couple shout outs uh, because other, yet again, other shows we have interacted with on Twitter are the best. Uh, I know I brought them up once before, but again, I want to bring up Light the Fright yet again our unofficial sister podcast because they cover more 
of the phobias, but they also talk about movies from time to time. They had a great bit about Hereditary, actually, in one of the recent episodes. They shouted us out again because I submitted yet another weird fear because they take listener fears and uh, I don't want to ruin what that fear was so you can go check it out. So again, that's Light the Fright and they are at Light the Fright. And then there's another show uh, that gave us a shout out um, called Ghosts and Hoes. Um, they... <laughs> <laughs> that is a great name. They, it's a great name, and it's spelled uh, it's spelled ghost dash the letter n dash h e a u x s. So uh, the New Orleans okay. in me, Cajun style, Cajun style New Orleans in me really appreciates that. But um, they cover just everything dark and macabre. But they they uh, they do it uh, with a lot of flair and a lot of fun, and they're very fun to listen to. Thank you for shouting us out. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, Thanks. And I think anyone who listens to our show would like their show as well. So again, ghosts and hoes. And Hoes is H-E-A-U-X-S. Like Devereaux, my middle name is E-A-U-X at the end. So, yeah, that's all I got. I just wanted to shout out those two shows before we uh, moved on. So, Derek and Aaron, I know you guys have talked in previous episodes about things that scare you and frighten you, like, as people. I know in some of the first couple episodes, you mentioned, like, phobias that you have. Lauren, what's, like, your phobias? Woof. Like, think um, of, like, the most... Loaded question, let's go. Like, the most strange or even... Uh, Just, like, irrational. Irrational. Even, yeah. Irrational. Ooh. So this might actually speak more to having a generalized anxiety disorder. But uh, one thing that I am very par- paranoid about is fire and okay. having, like, a house fire to the point where... I will quadruple check appliances. Um, so like I, my hair straightener in particular, I haven't used a hair straightener in at least two months. I will still, before I leave the house, check to make sure it's unplugged. Um, I check the stove to make sure it's off. I Before I left to come here, I unplugged pretty much everything in my house. I'm just terrified of fire in a major way, like to the point where I actually have an internal plan for what I will do in the event of my fire alarm going off in the middle of the night, such that actually uh, last winter my heater kicked on, which is rare in Florida, but it came on overnight. And of course, when it came on, it kicked up all the, the crud and stuff that burns off. Yeah. And it set off my that fire alarm. smoky smell and soot and everything, yeah. It did, and I woke up, and the first thing I did, I grabbed my jeans, I pulled my jeans on over my pajamas, I grabbed the cats, I shoved them both into the same carrier, which they loved, and I had them at, <laughs> I, at three in the morning, I had them at the door, and I was like, maybe I should actually figure out what is going on and figure it out, but I, I would probably say fire, just to the point where, because it's... It's not just I'm concerned with this. It's like I actually take steps in my daily life to combat the potential for fire, which I've never had an experience in my life. Well, I was going to say, I I don't know if mine is nearly to that extent, but I do know that if I'm leaving the house for any longer period of time than like two days, I unplug everything in the house myself for the same exact reason. I do too, and mine's... It's partly that, partly just like I don't want bad weather to like fry everything in our house when we're not there. Yeah, but I do in Mississippi. There's always yeah. rain twenty four seven. Yeah, this time of the year it's like real bad with thunderstorms and tornadoes and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Google that just now when you were talking about it because obviously like pyrophobia is fear of fire. 
but I googled like fear of house fire still pyrophobia so it falls under that umbrella fire in general fire walking yeah. well and I do think part of it I do have this weird memory where on my bedside table when I was little I always slept under the night light and it was one of those where it was just the bare like Christmas light bulb yeah and one night I woke up because I smelled something and a stuffed teddy bear from my nightstand had leaned against it, leaned against yeah. it and like burned a hole in the back and was smoking and I was just like meh and like pushed it <laughs> and in retrospect I think that like latent memory came back and it horrified me I was like I could have yeah. that could have been a huge thing and it wasn't and I don't know if that caused it but it did come back amidst this pyrophobia on that note my wife Heather like I guess just spilled a little bit of her personal shit when she's not here oops sorry babe um, her parents' house burned a few years back. Not entirely, but like the upstairs burned. So, like, she lost basically all of her stuff. Her sister lost most of her stuff. And that, weirdly enough, has expressed itself in the complete opposite way you're talking about, where she'll still, like, you know, do weird things that are maybe not, like, completely safety oriented, mm-hmm. but it's expressed itself in like, I'm going to throw everything away that we don't need. Oh, what is this? Does this give me joy? Throw it away. (laughs) Like, what is this thing? Do we need this? Throw it away. Like, anything that we don't need in the house, get rid of. Because she had that, like, mentality of, oh, all my shit just poof, disappeared. What can I actually live without on a day-to-day basis? Do I need this? So it's it's weird because she got, like, not at all safety phobic, (laughs) but just like, slash and burn everything in my life all material possessions that reminds me of the the henry rollins like open word poem in the middle of bottom by tool where he's just like when you reach the bottom you have uh, you have fear until you reach the bottom but when you reach the bottom your fear is broken yeah (laughs) it's just like lose all material things yeah basically see that seems like it could have some positive impacts though in that like everything is kind of organized and clean whereas it's it's only been positive in that she has completely pointed out the fact that i'm kind of pack ready because i grew up in like kind of a poor family with a bunch of kids so like anything i have is like no that's mine i have it like i bought it paid for like that should stay (laughs) see i I, like i'm not addicted to alcohol i'm not addicted to cigarettes i'm not addicted to any of those kind of vices my addiction is collecting yeah and so like i would be ruined if something like that the the between my physical media and like my Star Wars figure collection and Legos, like, yeah, dear lord. But uh, Heather has, like, Amiibos. I mean, that's, that's like, her kind of bites right now. But, yeah, that, that's definitely my problem. And, you know, anything outside of that, I'm just like, yeah, whatever, throw it away. But, yeah, yeah it's it's kind of weird how that same fear and same experience kind of thing is, like, it's expressed itself completely differently in both of y'all. Yeah, and I think it does have something to do with my cats in a major way. And yeah. my thought is always, like, I have to save them. Even though knowing, you know, like, mango you need to get sucks. out. Of- <laughs> 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 We're just going to go right past that one. <laughs> Man, you derailed her trying to find me. First Garrus, now Mango. This is a man. But, uh, it's personal. It's personal. I don't get it. <laughs> Can, but, uh, can you explain that joke to me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, so let's yeah. flip the tables a little bit. Okay. No, yeah, I, you, what, is, what is one of your fears? Wasps. 
Uh, I mean, I already too late. Too yeah. late. Too late. Under another. That was me. They are, they are terrifying, though. They were, I know. I 100 percent agree. Absolutely with terrifying. I actually had a wasp in my warehouse at work like a week ago. I did not go in the warehouse, regardless of what paint needed to be pulled, regardless of what needed to come out to the floor. I made all my employees go do it because that's what they get paid for. Yeah. Um, I got stung by a wasp this week. Actually, like trimming the head. Oh, shit. how? Why are you here right now? Immediately, I, I was just like, "You son of a bitch." <laughs> Because I would be still on the couch, horrified in, in a daze if that happened to me. Yeah, we're not going to let you off that easy. We've already okay. talked about wasps. All right. so um, uh, weird medical things. I am okay. absolutely terrified anytime anything feels just even slightly off in my body that I'm going to die. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, I do have uh, panic attacks from time to time. Panic attacks do manifest themselves in me as like heart attack-esque symptoms. Hey. Um, so that's terrifying. Been there. Been there before. Absolutely terrifying. So anytime anything remotely weird medical happens with me, I just assume that it's like a heart attack or I'm dying or um, I don't know. Even back to whenever I was a kid, I remember uh, my dad, you know, explaining things from the Bible to me. And one of the things that I asked what it was was leprosy, because apparently they yeah. loved leprosy in the Bible. Everybody had it. Yeah, she was so, wild. Yeah, leprosy was Everybody everywhere. Was leprosy, yeah. leprosy was everywhere back then. And so I was like, yeah, it's this disease that you get where, like, your arms start falling off, then your nose falls off, then your ears fall off, and then you yeah. die. And I was so mortified <laughs> by that. <laughs> and I was so mortified by that. I like started just working myself up to the point that I was like throwing up for the rest of the night, thinking that I was going to catch leprosy. Oh God! Um, wow. So yeah, like weird medical things have always really terrified me. That's basically like the sex ed from like any southern high school is just if you have sex you're going to get an STD and things are going to fall off and then you're going to die you know what sex ed was for me at my Mississippi public school uh, sex ed taught me that condoms do not work yep uh, they, <laughs> common popular topic right there yeah they said that uh, a woman can only get pregnant a certain percentage of the time based on the time of the month a uh, condom only works a certain percentage of the time those two percentages are kind of close to each other. You do the math. <laughs> then they had a sort of video science. where Sinbad was a condom. <laughs> <laughs> that goes hand in hand with house, actually. That is, that is real. You can Google that. There is a commercial where Sinbad is a condom. Um, so just in case anybody out there is listening and curious enough to look that up, it is uh, a real thing. Oh my god. So yeah, there was that. So yeah, weird medical stuff is definitely my thing. And I've always been a little bit of a hypochondriac on top of that. Anytime I have anything that feels remotely like a fever, I'm down for the count. I mean, I can have a head cold all day long and just say, you know, it's not a problem to me. But anytime I feel like my temperature is above like 99.5, nah, I might as well be dead. Yeah. I recently discovered that I have, like, a really weird phobia of things growing on people's bodies, like mm -hmm. plants. So, let me back up. <laughs> I had a customer come in a few days ago who was some kind of level of drifter, I think. I don't know. He came in needing a phone charger for a phone that was, like, 15 years old. We couldn't help him. But... He had literal, like, moss growing, like, on his arms oh. in a way that, like, really kind of bothered me. And on one hand, I was just like, 
real fucked up around like, man, what is this guy's situation like? That's sad. But then on the other hand, I was just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What that are you doing that gets that way? That man has a superpower and you didn't even know it. Yeah, possibly. He's that man. Possibly. <laughs> no, no, that man right there can change the can change the magnetic poles of the earth based on which direction he is facing. That man has a superpower that you never even noticed. <laughs> he might be swapping for all you know. Yeah, but like you hear those weird cases of like, you know, oh well, little Timmy like stuck a bean up his nose and then it sprouted and then it's like, mm-hmm. fuck, you have like plant sprouting in your sinuses like in your face like in all your face parts you have like roots growing into your head the fuck Mm -hmm. and there was a case of like that recently where it literally got into some kid's brain and they had to go in and do brain surgery because it was like putting pressure on the inside of his fucking head somehow or another like it was causing him to like blink hard I don't know but I got a I got a horror comedy comic for you called Farmhand also at Image Comics because (laughs) because the whole premise of that is that there was a there was a, a guy who discovered a plant that could literally grow new organs and grow new parts of your body using plants. What? Okay. And that's just the premise. The guy who did Chew is the one who's writing uh, the farm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Lemire? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually just thought of one other thing that absolutely terrifies me, and it's infestations of any kind. Yeah. yeah. Roaches, bed bugs. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between, like, here's this bug, and here's, like, oh, they're inescapable all over your shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, one of my employees, his daughter, his daughter is a nurse at a local hospital, and they had somebody come in. Is this a HIPAA violation? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, uh, just don't say the location names <laughs> or gender, and you should be all right. Okay, well, I don't know the gender of this person. Or this person, This person came in. They came in, came in on the, on the ambulance, and then uh, stretched in, whatever, all of that, and uh, they had sores all over their body. Well, they were getting checked out, and they had a literal infestation of bed bugs in their hair. (laughs) (laughs) Their body was covered in... They had, like, they were covered in bed bugs, and they were just, like, falling off of this person. And just, like, crawling around like a living wig on their head. So, on a lighter note, I used to work at a place where computers were, like, serviced and taken apart, right? Oh, no. And you, like, could refuse service if there was an infestation. And so, sometimes people would bring in really old desktop CPUs, and we'd crack it open, and there would be, like, spider webs. Or like roaches or whatever. The cutest infestation I ever saw was an old lady who brought her CPU in. It was definitely rattling and she was like, I don't know, it's not working. There's something loose in there. And they unscrewed, took off the side, and just cat food poured out all over the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, I guess one of my grandkids was just putting pieces in the back there. And we look and like, you know, one of the like plates where your yeah, you know, yeah. GPU would kind of slot in mm-hmm. was missing. And yeah, sure enough, a kid had just been like sitting there like, yeah, grandma, like just putting fucking cat food in. <laughs> and like it was filled to the brim because it was just like 
bag full of cat food. I thought you were about to say y'all cracked this open and it was full of bed bugs and I was about Uh, to cry. (laughs) Very, very cute. Yeah, real cute. (laughs) Yeah, but when you said cute, I was like, okay, it's not bed bugs unless he's a monster. I was expecting like, oh, a bunch of sugar gliders just came out. (laughs) (laughs) Some rats came out. A family of mice. Okay, rats are really cute though. That's why I'm saying I think it's cute. They can be. Possums, on the other hand, fuck possums. No. Oh, <laughs> possums, possums are adorable. Meanwhile, though, support Jesse's band, the possums. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely hit up my brother's band camp page at uh, the opossums. See, if you had said that you'd opened it up or, and there was a possum inside, I would have been really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I guess speaking on that note, uh, this episode will probably go out by that point, but uh, if you are in the Memphis area, go to fucking Gonnerfest and go see Jesse's band Possums playing on Saturday. So, yeah, quick plug there if this episode gets out on time. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, this part will be edited out, maybe. (laughs) Well, I also wanted to just ask if anyone at the table here had any interesting... So, since House deals with two things, the whole idea of really childhood fears of like almost like fears that don't make sense to adults but make total sense to you as a kid or even just like instances of creepy stories that happen in a house like that like the whole idea of a house turning against you is a type of fear that this movie explores um does anyone have like any stories that come to mind about that because that's another thing we like to do is we like to share mm-hmm. those kind of similar fears i mean growing up i heard lots of stories of friends saying that oh i woke up in the middle of the night and this picture had flown across the room or, right i've never had anything like that ever happen to me i've never had anything that seemed even remotely supernatural happen yeah but well, so, not even necessarily supernatural but did you have like any imagination as a kid that like you look back on it was like that was kind of freaky in retrospect but yeah. at the time it made total sense I mean, one time whenever I was growing up, I had a really bad case of sleep paralysis that manifested itself in that my room was full of demons that were trying to eat me. So that was... There you go. Yeah, that happens. Yep, that'll happen. I, uh, when I was a kid, this wasn't a specific instance, I've always had terrible vision. And I used to have almost constant pretty much every night I would wake up and think I saw something and it didn't matter what it was my brain would just automatically interpret that as a person yeah so I had I mean I was sleeping in my parents bed at least like three four nights a week much to their delight I'm sure and that was always something that even knowing there's nothing there or I could reach out put on my glasses and see that it's you know the typical horror movie thing where there's a chair on or the a coat on the back of a chair and see that but I would just be convinced that there was that that was a thing and you can't really get rid of that fear yeah your your mom was telling me though that even like even at an early age that you relied so much on your glasses that like if your glasses were missing at all like you were especially at night it was just I was blind and that's like a horrifying thing to think about when you're younger and as a kid because like as an adult you can rationalize and like figure stuff out a lot better and handle things a lot better than you can as a kid like the Mm -hmm. idea of your sight being taken away from you is probably far more terrifying I mean it's never not terrifying but it's probably far more terrifying to an innocent child Mm -hmm. well and it is 
it is interesting because it has created this weird response where you see something and you want to stay still. Like, yeah. you want to not move. You want to just be hidden like it's a T-Rex or something and it can't see you if you don't move. But then to have to reach out and put on your glasses. Like, that was always the moment of, like, I would be He's shaking. reaching over, like, onto the nightstand. And, like, slowly, like, pulling them over my face. Yeah. And then there's nothing there. Or reaching over to your nightstand, afraid that, like, something's just going to, like, grab Whoa. your arm. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks for ruining her sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll jump in on that note, because one of my, like, weird, irrational kid fears growing up, because I also wore glasses until I was in high school. <laughs> and I don't know if I, like, saw this in a movie or a TV show or what, but it it was definitely just like something's gonna hit me in the face and shatter my glasses and just like fucking glass shards in the eyes mm-hmm. and they were never like not real glass glasses like that's not been a thing for fucking years they were always at like polycarb bullshit but i just had such a weird fear of like again like trip fall ah, shards of glass in the eyes like blood everywhere for no reason. Like, for no reason ever. That was just always, like, in my kid brain. I was terrified of that. Well, I know that I, uh, the very first Home Alone movie, when I first watched it, like, uh, I, I couldn't have been, I, what, when did that movie come out? What year was it? Uh, the very it was like first. 89. Yeah, like, I was maybe four or five the first time I saw that movie, and... I remember the whole idea of the heater down in the like down in the basement always freaking him out. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, I freaked me out. That part of the movie was like it might have as well been a horror movie at, at those scenes for me as a kid, to the point where I like anytime I stayed at uh, friends' houses or went to other houses that like didn't have central air, and they had like heater systems that were visible, mm-hmm. they freaked me out when they would kick on, and even in like central air systems like. A lot of them that would like they would start that heating build up before they actually blow the air, and that noise alone would freak me out as a kid. And I don't think I got over that fear until I was maybe like nine or ten years old. And that was kind of one of those little irrational fears of like the heater's gonna come alive and kill me or eat me or yeah. something. I mean, it definitely tried to in the Brave Little Toaster, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we brought that scene up, yeah, yeah, once or twice before. The fucking air conditioner that has a heart attack and his goddamn mustache falls off. <laughs> uh. One I definitely had, I had, this just made me think of did you guys ever have dreams of being kidnapped and your parents letting it happen? Nah. Mm-mm. Okay, I, don't I was know. always a bigger kid, so like I wasn't never afraid of that. I'd hit somebody. Really? <laughs> See, I don't know if I just revealed some deep-seated psychological fear of mine, but I used to have so many dreams of being kidnapped, or not quite like someone would jump out and grab me. It would be like a stranger in the sure, line, yeah. where they have a trench coat and a hat, and they would be like leading me away, and I'd be like, "Mom," and she'd be like, "No, you're good." And then like, I'd be like put into a van. So hey, that I'll, was one that I had so like constantly. I'll, I'll take this dive of too much information uh, with you. I used to, and this was well before I was a teenager and like hit puberty and started like developing sexual feelings or whatever. I used to, as a kid, had that dream of I'm naked in public places like my school, around my parents, like out and about. I'm the one, I realize I'm naked, I'm embarrassed, but no one else seems to realize I'm naked and I'm running around like just trying to figure out what to do. And that just explains your latent nudism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just walking around naked. <laughs> just hanging dong in daily situations. <laughs> so the only, the nightmares I used to have whenever I was a kid and honestly even into, not that I really have nightmares all that often anymore, but if I ever do, it's just being chased by an unknown entity and just running yeah. from it. Yeah. 
At this point, yeah, that's a lot of what I have, too. Yep, we talked about that a little bit on Follows, because that's exactly what that mm-hmm. movie is kind yeah. of playing on. So. Yeah. But yeah, before we dive into House, uh, once again, we got to give a little shout out to our friends at Podcoin. Legitimately has been a pleasure uh, being on their platform. They pay you to listen to podcasts. It's a free, everything's totally free, cryptocurrency type of thing where they give you so many pod coins based off the minutes that you listen to podcasts and you can turn around and use your pod coins to do anything from donate to charity to get you a gift card to starbucks or amazon all the podcasts that i listened to previously whether it be on other podcast formats that are popular like on your iphone or whatever all of them are also on Podcoin. i've just made the complete transition from what i was using to there and i there still isn't a show i haven't found on there you can instantly start off with 300 pod coins by using our promo code DARE, D-A-R-E. Um, so yeah, check out Podcoin. They're great. And uh, that's all we got for that. Yay, Podcoin. Hold up, I think I have a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good use of sound effects. Yay, I'm sitting in front of the laptop and I can do that. <laughs> bunch, of, bunch of Pokemon pins. <laughs> Slightly less impressive. I want you to like go into Walgreens and just like throw those on the counter for something and be like, they're just as good as money. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. There's four Mewtwo's and a Mew here. Perfectly great. Um, so yeah, if we uh, if we do wind up ever doing a Patreon or whatever, you can put some money towards helping us out with our sound effect, <laughs> or just just donate some Mewtwo's. <laughs> All right, well, let's get started talking about House, a.k.a. Houseu from 1977. House. <laughs> Abayashi. So, quick history on this movie. And we were like talking about it early in the evening. And I was just like, bah! hold on, we gotta wait till we're like actually recording to like start discussing any of this. Um, so, did y'all look at like any of the background of this movie? Nope. Nope. Okay. So, the director, Obayashi, was a commercial director. So, like, that was his whole bag before this. This was his first feature. He wrote the movie. He wrote it with his teenage daughter. It's, like, talking to him about, like, what weird shit she would like to put I in. I think she was even just 11 or 12 at the yeah, time, she too. Yeah, she, like, she, she was pre-teen. She was pre-teen, yeah. 
Um, but the whole idea started because Toho in Japan wanted to make some kind of like Jaws-esque movie for the Japanese market. And they got this guy. I can see like, the similarities. Right. Yeah, exactly. You can like see the similarities <laughs> to a degree, but they totally just like, wait, how did you go from Jaws to this, right? And he basically just said, like, I wanted to do something kind of wild and out there and experimental. And I talked to my daughter because I wanted, like, that weird, unfiltered kid brain to kind of come through because adults are just way too rational and grounded, right? He wrote the script. Toho was like, what the fuck is this? And none of Toho's directors wanted to make it. And he basically said, yo, I'll just, I want to make this movie on my own. And they said, no, you can't. You're not part of our, like, inside company group. So, no, you can't direct it. In the meantime, it sat for two years. And in that two-year period, he got a manga adaptation made. Oh, I didn't even know that. A novelization of the script I made, would love to read the manga. <laughs> a radio play. And they released the soundtrack for the movie before the movie came out. Hmm. And so they did all this promo shit, like building all this hype, because all that stuff was really successful. So the, it got to the point where Toho was like, all right, we have to make this movie now because it's all huge. Yeah, fuck it, go ahead and direct. So he then got on the directing side of it. All of the girls cast in the movie were non-actors. They were all like models from his previous commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of them had any acting experience. The music was all kind of put together by a couple of different people. Asai Kobayashi was a composer who worked with him before. He's the guy that like came up with that actual melody that's throughout the movie. But then the actual songs are a band, Go Diego. Which I swear they sound exactly like the band Love. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very similar. It's very similar. I see in your eyes where tomorrow is hiding in my heart. There's a bell ringing loud at the touch of your lips. Down the rainbow, I'm sliding little of other weird like bits and pieces um again that same composer kobayashi he plays the watermelon man in the movie i didn't know that that's fantastic watermelon man is like my favorite guy yeah in that movie the guy that plays mr togo is a uh, kiyohiko ozaki he was a country music star that explains, <laughs> that, explains, that explains a lot because i actually have it written in my notes uh whenever mr togo popped popped up I uh oh never mind just cut this part out because I have I'm getting two characters confused okay See, I actually I actually wrote down groundskeeper Willie right next to him <laughs> <laughs> no we're keeping that in that's great <laughs> so you, know, you may be talking about the same about Mr. Togo is the guy that fantasy is like in love yeah, with yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. guy that's like supposed to be coming to rescue them yeah no yes. the I got that confused with uh, actually uh, Gorgeous's dad who I okay. have written down is just Japanese Charles Nelson Riley. basically <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, what did you say that this movie like reminded you of in the first like 15 minutes of it? Uh, I said that in the first 15 minutes of the movie, it was the strangest double mint commercial I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And in the very opening credits, I said that it was just basically Harry Nielsen vaporwave. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the guy the guy that plays Mr. Togo is a Japanese country music star, and he's friends in the seventies. In the seventies, what does that and sound like? He's friends with the director because they have a like a shared love of horseback riding. So like, there's some great connections going. And on. there is a scene where he is riding a horse. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. Movie got made. It was a huge commercial success. Toho was kind of at a point where, like, the old Japanese cinema was kind of starting to die out. It wasn't successful. So they were like, cool, let's take some, like, daring steps. And this was kind of the first, like, move toward that. And even then, they were like, this is too fucking out there for us. So critics were kind of meh on it when it came out. But it was a huge commercial success because everybody young loved the shit out of this movie. But it didn't actually, it didn't come here until 20, 2009, 2010. Um, so it was completely unreleased here in the States until then. I saw this movie originally around 2009 or 10 when it first hit here because Turner Classic Movies Underground played it one night. And that's like TCM, I don't know if they still do it because I haven't had cable in a while, but TCM used to have a thing on Friday nights where they would do a double feature like late. And at one point in time, Rob Zombie was like the host of the whole thing but they would play like off the wall bullshit like this and this that was the first time that I saw it was like right when we had finished right when I had finished undergrad at least and I kind of became obsessed with it immediately but this is one and we talked about this earlier too like everybody that I've shown this movie to everybody has been like what the fuck did I just watch but also everybody's also like this so I was glad to hear that like y'all enjoyed this movie at so, least because it's fucking bananas I, literally I, I do think <laughs> I do think it's a horror movie. I don't think it really scared anybody at this table. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, like, Lauren, you did get freaked out by a couple ideas. Now, the ideas... There are some scenes that got me. They're, the ideas in this movie are scary. Yeah. Some of the stuff that actually happens, the idea of it is horrifying, especially when you take it in the context of but the, but this the is a childhood. Yeah, but the execution and direction of it is Harry Nilsson vaporwave double mint commercial. Yeah, totally. and, and so. I've read everywhere that it was purpose... Like, the director chose to do this on purpose because he wanted it to be like a psychedelic preteens idea of what a horror movie would be like and it's like a stream of consciousness mixed with like a fucking acid trip scooby-doo episode it's fucking bananas this movie like i didn't think anything could top like david lynch in terms of absolute batshit bananas that sometimes is a little hard to follow we keep saying bananas and we <laughs> yeah. mean bananas literally yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a scene with bananas um but it really is just it's fucking it, it is one giant acid trip the highs and the lows. Like there are parts where it is just full of euphoria, full of beautiful colors, heavenly sounds out there. Uh, like the, the the girls in the movie are like so happy-go-lucky and euphoric that it, it's almost a little too sincere. And then it goes to just straight like nightmare logic. And But it's all done with like collage type of effects like the effects even for the 70s are on purpose i don't want to say poor because it works so well with the movie but he purposely wanted them to look like a kid would like put this all together yeah like a kid put like put it together using like cutouts from different pieces of art and 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 this movie has like every camera trick from the time that you can possibly think of there are 
like weird overlays and acid burns and like weird video effects with like blue screen shit and like paint being thrown on people. Um, like there's there's all kinds of nuts. I, I, I didn't think there would be a harder movie to describe than like Lost Highway was for us, but this one might be the hardest to put into words without you going to watch like go to watch us because if there is a movie that I recommend you watch before you before we go into the plot synopsis of this movie, this would be the one. And granted, it might be a little hard to come by. It is on Criterion. That's how we all watch it was through the Criterion collection through their streaming service. Um, we were talking earlier at dinner how it is. Is on uh, Blu-ray from Criterion. Yeah, Criterion does have a Blu-ray DVD out that's totally available to pick up any time of the year. It's also on their streaming network. Um, so this movie is totally easy to come by. You just you know you're not going to get it like for you know free and air quotes. It's not like on Netflix necessarily. Um, but it's totally available. And but it's definitely one that like I would recommend seeking out regardless of whether you're interested from the horror standpoint. Just because from a filmmaking standpoint, this movie is the epitome of like... And I wouldn't even say style over substance because this movie does have substance to it. But mm-hmm. this movie is like the most insane barrage of editing and camera effects and like weird bullshit the entire time. There's like not a moment of this movie where things are normal. It is the definition of overstimulation, but I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. Like it's not over whelming you with stimulation but it is overstimulation like acid trip like that's just i mean it, it, those are the words i'm gonna keep using because there's not like any better way i can think of to articulate this movie um i'm pretty sure this was just long, one long acid mother temple music video it could be <laughs> yeah it totally could be. acid mother temple video is a good way to describe this movie. it totally could be and after i saw this movie on tcm i became kind of obsessed with it and i couldn't find it anywhere at the time but i did find like a weird bootleg version of it that had some kind of Japanese like acid rock bullshit like playing over the whole thing Mm -hmm. like no subtitles or anything it was just that and it was like high rise or maybe like guitar wolf or something like it was something fucking wild like over the movie and it was great too so it does work on that level so I will just openly say I I mentioned earlier I'm not a fan of the horror genre in general not a fan of movies in general I probably watch three movies a year I absolutely adored this movie I don't think it had much to do with once again me being a fan of horror or being a fan of movies I think it has more to do with the fact that growing up, I always had a weird fascination with uh, just kind of like the stranger side of Japanese culture. Yeah. And not really, uh, not really like. I never got into the big, you know, anime thing. Like, I never got into anime or manga or any of that kind of stuff. I did play a lot of video games from Japan. Yeah. And I purposely s- seeked out games that had just really strange elements to them. I will say, to this day, I constantly have to explain to people the beauty and magic that is Muscle March. Yeah. For the Wii. That game, like, when you showed me that on your homebrewed Wii, like, that blew my fucking mind. So, like, yeah. that is a game I, that exists. Muscle March, Cho if you've never okay, gotten yeah. into Cho it's phenomenal. It's essentially the same thing, but it's a side-scrolling shooter where everything is overly sexualized and the guys are just in tiny speedos <laughs> and you fight like snail men where their dicks keep popping out. Uh, <laughs> uh, so things like that. Um, I was one of the first people I know that really just delved into Katamari Damacy as a series. I saw it before it came out in the States uh, when it was just Japan only and just instantly fell in love with it. Yeah, and I would put this movie, I would put House 
with Katamari, Dom's like, if you're gonna take, if you were making like a story that was devoted to high fantasy Japanese weirdness to the max, you would put House on the Shelf, you put all Katamari games, you put Muscle March, yeah, like you put all that kind of stuff. Um, Incredible Crisis for yeah, PS1. Incredible Crisis. I know I mentioned that one yeah. earlier. That yeah. game is one of my favorites, and it's a yeah. kind of hidden gem on the PS1. And, and like the, I think the casual viewer, especially uh, American, would kind of look at this and just be like, man, the Japanese are off their fucking rocker. They're out of their minds. But Sure, but it's but the it's same. so much. I thought it was goddamn brilliant. But yeah, yeah but there's brilliance it's, to it. There's an, there's it's the same exact. It's the same it. exact energy level and vibe as the first two Evil Dead movies or Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, Brain Dead. Um, like it has that manic energy and that weird artificial quality driving the whole thing mm-hmm. that puts you kind of off because it's obviously so fake and artificial but to a heightened degree where it just all rolls back onto itself in a weird sort of way so so yeah it's totally part of that like bizarro japanese culture for sure and it's interesting how like there's so much of that highly westernized japanese culture in this movie as well but there's just inextricable shit. Like, the guy sitting at the noodle bar, and there's just, like, a bear serving noodles. <laughs> and the guy who turns into bananas again. Just, like, weird nutso shit in this movie. So, one thing I noticed uh, that I had seen a lot in, uh, like, a lot of the video games that I played growing up and is actually a part of Japanese culture is I noticed a lot of yokai imagery in this movie. Yeah, okay. we had a long conversation about that right after we watched it. Yeah, I, I had noted at least four times in the movie where I noticed Ex- specific yokai imagery. Explain that specifically for listeners, because also, like, I've heard that word. I'm not 100% sure what that is. Okay, so yokai are... Japanese spirits? Yeah, they're like, like Japanese spirits of sorts. Demon sort some of, of them can be, like, demons. Some of them can be spooky. Some of them can be tricksters. There's a whole plethora of them. Um, but basically, they're kind of... Uh, mythical creatures, mythical beasts that are believed to exist uh, in Japan, mostly folklore, things like that. Uh, they can range from something as simple to a uh, floating head, which is something that we saw okay. in yeah, the movie. Yeah. That is, uh, that's an actual uh, Japanese yokai. Totally familiar with that from Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one of the uh, that's one of the Japanese uh, yokai uh, to something just as strange as naked guy with an eyeball for an anus. Okay, like yeah, that's yeah. another yokai. Hey. Well, and then also too, I mean, we'll, and we'll bring it up. We'll touch upon it like when we reach these parts of the film. But uh, the first yokai that popped up in my mind immediately in the movie was, and I don't know the name, uh, so I apologize, but it's the yokai that inhabits random objects like like an umbrella or a uh, a lamp. Yeah, like it literally. There's lots of like possessed objects possessed in the house, like that's, floating around that, doing that's stuff. A, yeah. That's a Pokemon. That's Rotom. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> Rotom. Yeah, basically the idea of Rotom. No, um, I will go on ahead and correct you here. There is actually a uh, yokai that is specifically an umbrella. Oh, okay. Um, there is a yokai that is specifically yeah. a uh, umbrella. And you see that umbrella in one of the scenes where they're being attacked by objects. Yeah, it's, uh, well, okay, the thing that really, it's yeah, not it's necessarily just, it, yeah. it's not necessarily just an umbrella. 
Uh, in typical yokai imagery, it is an umbrella with an eyeball that's hopping around with a shoe. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the way that it was, uh, the way that it was seen in the movie, the way the umbrella was like on its stick hopping around, really reminded me of that specific yokai. That yokai is called Kaso Bake. And actually, in the the game Neo that came out a couple of years ago for PS4 and uh, Xbone, you all you do is fight yokai in that game, and one of the enemies is literally that umbrella that hops around and it shoots spikes at you and, yeah. and like yeah and it, it has the eyeball and everything my first uh my first that i can remember experience with kind of yokai and yokai imagery was in a super nintendo game called pocky and rocky where you are a girl and a raccoon more specifically i believe a tanuki that yeah. are fighting off uh, all these different demons all these different yokai i just i don't know if it was a tanuki or not because you couldn't see his nutsack <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> No, that's a real thing. <laughs> Have you ever looked at Tanuki imagery from, like, early Japan? Because you're going to love this. Um, if you just look up, like, Tanuki, T-A-N-U-K-I, art. Yeah, look up Tanuki art. Okay, so Tanuki is totally, like, a weird kind of raccoon. Kind of raccoon. Uh, but they're depicted as having gigantic nutsacks, as you can see, like, right oh, there. Huh. There we go. This isn't, like... Reasons. He's this carrying is... people like a boat in his nuts. Yeah. Okay, yeah. This... For, for for viewers out there, this is a tanuki, and he is like on the shore pulling in a canoe, but the canoe is literally his scrotum, and there are other tanuki like sitting in his scrotum. Cool shit. And that's that's like the kind <laughs> of like ancient Japanese art. Yeah, and that's the kind of shit that kind of pops up in house. <laughs> this, I believe there's one tanuki that uh, bludgeons somebody else to death with his scrotum. I will say that it, this is definitely more masculine than house for sure. House definitely has like a way more feminine feel to it. That's very but, true. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's beating a bunch of geese with his uh, with his balls there. Fun times. They probably <laughs> deserved it. Let's be real. Geese are <laughs> monsters. Uh, they are fantastic. So, yeah, this movie is wild. Definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, do yourself a um, favor. At least Google image search some of the stuff. Just type yeah. in House 1977. Look at the Google images. And you'll start getting sort of a picture of what we're talking about here. And, and again, like this movie is not super scary. Like, I specifically recommended this movie because a it's a blast with a crowd i was very certain that none of the three of them had actually seen this movie before and again i know for Nowaki's sake like he's not big into movies or horror i didn't want to like throw him into the fucking deep end but this was something that i knew would be right up his alley anyway because as we mentioned before we watched shit like machine girl tokyo girl and gore police tokyo gore police yeah. and shit when we were in undergrad yeah. and that yeah. stuff is like way more wild than this movie as far as like gore goes but this movie is definitely a lot more fun in a lot of ways and it constantly just like keeps you wondering what the fuck is about to happen mm-hmm. i did like tokyo gore police though yeah, that yeah was actually, the lead in Tokyo Gore Police was also an audition, which we did a while back. Which yeah. we did, yeah, a while back. So you know what? I'm just thinking about it. Uh, we were talking the other day about like how many horror movies I've actually seen, and I think it's up to like three. And <laughs> sometime in undergrad, I remember us specifically watching the movie Wreck. Yes, and uh, that one was fun. 
Yeah, we oh. are we are totally going to do Rec One and Two with uh, another one of our college friends, Lamplu, in the near future. So, yep. oh, speaking of which, if this episode also gets out in time, one of our friends from college has a feature film in the Austin Film Festival. It is the Vice Guide to Bigfoot. Um, so this is his first feature that he put together. So if you are in the Austin area, definitely try to go to that fest and check it out. Give him some support. I'm excited to see it, um, but he will definitely be on sometime in the near future. And I, Absolutely. I, He's a uh, phenomenally hilarious guy, a uh, great director. I think it's going to be fun. Well, yeah, and I was going to say, I talked to him a, a good bit when he was like doing the editing on this movie and stuff, too, and I, I, I know a lot of the plot points and parts in the script, and I laughed out loud at a lot of it, to be honest with you. Um, so it, it is kind of hand-in-hand with this, where it's it, it kind of more goes the comedic horror route, I guess. Maybe more comedy than horror, but they're, hey, it deals with Sasquatch, so... Yeah. <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons did too. Is that a horror movie? Oh, it's a cryptid movie. That's for sure. <laughs> so, as a quick kind of run through of the plot, again, this movie is very inextricable. So, we're just going to kind of go through it and give our general thoughts as we go along and discuss like the themes and just the weird shit that happens. So, this movie starts appropriately with a title card that just says a movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie. A movie house. I love things that really just describe themselves that well. Absolutely. I I like the Ron Swanson approach to this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, we start with a group of girls, and (laughs) the lead girl is gorgeous. Yeah, speaking of things that describe themselves directly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the group of girls... all have these nicknames for each other and that's but to, all we really know of them but to the point where like it might be their real names because even her dad calls her gorgeous yeah totally which yeah that's such an optimistic thing to name a baby yeah it's like yeah. gorgeous <laughs> you weird like lump of child <laughs> i have no idea what you'll be but let's call you gorgeous yeah, surprisingly that's actually steve buscemi's real name <laughs> <laughs> Steve Gorgeous Bishimi. <laughs> um, so yeah, the lead girl is, uh, her nickname is Gorgeous. And then she has her friends Kung Fu, who of course is good at fighting. And my favorite character in this movie. I think. Oh, absolutely. Prof, who is like the smart nerdy one with glasses. Second favorite character. Fantasy, who is kind of the daydreamer, like lover girl of the group. Melody, who is the musician. Sweet, who is like, I don't know, how to de- how would you describe Sweet? She's, She's kind of nice. the one. Yeah. Very like, childlike and naive. Yeah. Well, and she volunteers to do a lot of things. Yeah. So yeah. All- She's sweet. Yeah, like Fantasy, yeah. I felt was just as naive as Sweet was. Yeah. <laughs> And then my favorite, because I'm like, you know, the fat one of every group, Mac, who is just the hungry one who's eating constantly. Name Mac. Yeah, Mac. <laughs> short for Stummac, I guess. I See, I took it as Mac and Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so I did too, but it also works from that season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Where Mac, where Mac, <laughs> Mac, Mac just does stop eating. <laughs> I took it as McDonald's. That's, so I have no idea where to That's pretty that. good, too. I think that's, like, the Western assumption, because looking online, like, tons of people mm. assume it's McDonald's, but was fucking McDonald's in Japan at that point? I, know. I, I, think, they actually, sure. I think they mentioned somewhere in the movie it is short for stomach. Yeah, yeah they I, did. I, I think yeah. it is okay. just short for stomach. So, anyway, this group of girls are all at 
what looks to be a kind of westernized private school. Um, and they're about to go on a holiday break. And they're all talking about going on a trip to a training camp. Dot, dot, dot. Like, what the fuck is a training camp? <laughs> I thought um, that this was the start of, like, a harem anime. Because all of them were wearing, like, <laughs> Japanese schoolgirl uniforms. And they were being, like over-energetically happy about everything they were talking about. And, and asking their teacher about her private life with another teacher getting married. Yeah. 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 It starts off with them talking to, like, the gym teacher and talking about her arranged marriage and another girl talking about how she's in love with this one guy who's a teacher at the school named Mr. Togo, who's way, obviously, too old. And um, creepy as fuck. He's yeah. essentially just, like, Japanese Lucky from King of the Hill. <laughs> He strikes me as being, like, the, like, foreign language teacher who's, like, just barely qualified to do it and probably just puts on, like, movies for them to watch. No, this dude slipped on PP at the Costco. (laughs) (laughs) He reminded me of a nicer version of the first guy that you encounter, the first, like, boss of Persona 5. Like, just a nicer version of that guy, but still Mm -hmm. a giant creep. He didn't give me that creepy vibe. (laughs) I mean, he didn't give me that creepy vibe either because it's definitely a thing where, like, Fantasy is in love with him and obsessed with him, but he that's just not what I like, notice at all. Yeah, that doesn't but, go in the other direction. But the, and I, I, know, I know I'm jumping ahead in the plot a little bit, but he's traveling to meet them at this inn. Six or seven like underage girls to well, meet them at the inn. And wasn't their first trip, so again, jumping ahead a bit, they ended up changing their trip plans, but for the first one, they were, like, going with him or, like, to a location that was I think he his... was, like, their chaperone to the to the training, training center or training yeah, camp yeah. or whatever it was that called. That sounds yeah. like a euphemism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to me, it sounded like a euphemism. <laughs> Gorgeous is mad because she can't go. So, yeah, Gorgeous is not going. She is gonna go on a trip with her father, who is a film composer. And he's, like, just gotten back from Italy. He even makes, like, a weird joke about having work with Sergio Leone and oh Leone liked his music even better than Morricone's music blah 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 so she's gonna go on a trip with him because when she gets home he's like hey I want to introduce you to who's gonna be your new mother and so he introduces Ryoko who is the woman that he is now like in love with going to marry and is gonna be Gorgeous's new mother because her mother has passed and years before. Mind you, we're describing this all relatively normally. Yeah. This movie is like hyper stimulating every little detail out of you because like when she appears on screen it's like coming out of like a soap opera. She's slowly walking. Like, wind is blowing her hair and blowing her scarf. She's wearing, like, I all mean, white, like this almost angelic figure. And yeah, it seems yeah. almost a little ominous. Like, I thought she was going to be the bad guy of the movie right yeah. then. It was almost like when the ghost visits the hero and, like, comes out of the clouds. Like, that's what it looked like to yeah. me. Like, she was moving very slowly. Everything about her was diaphanous somehow. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and, like, the music <laughs> even turns into, like, this melody of, like... Aphrodite's or something coming. Speaking of music, while we're there, uh, I love how music almost never stopped from the entire story. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, and there, this, was, there was no silent point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this soundtrack is legit amazing, in my opinion. Like, yeah, legit good.
one thing that is a constant criticism of this movie is that the acting's bad, which here, like, okay, it's heightened and it's cheesy. Bad is kind of subjective, though, because... I think the cheesiness the cheesiness and overacting of everything that's works the tone so of the well. Movie. Yeah, yeah, it works like so well with the movie. It's already the tone of the movie, top to bottom, but the fact that, like, we are also dealing with a translation thing and reading subtitles, you don't notice the acting is bad, but that's always been a criticism of this movie, that the acting's well, terrible because it's a bunch of non-actors and actresses, but one thing they did do is, after a while of them getting kind of flat performances and the director having a hard time like getting them to do what he wanted they literally just started taking the fucking soundtrack that was already recorded beforehand and playing the soundtrack while they were filming so the girls are actually reacting and like hopping along to the soundtrack i was just about to say that because i read that same thing last night after we watched it and that's just amazing that's amazing like yeah i mean that there's magic to that you normally don't ever do that for you know audio reasons but um, a lot of Japanese movies are kind of like Italian movies where they just shot and said fuck it to the audio and then fill in all the audio after the fact with like ADR and everything else. So this movie did a lot of that. So uh, Gorgeous immediately kind of pushes back a little bit and she's upset, rightfully so. Um, she, you know, pulls out a whole box full of photos of her and her mom and she's reminiscing on all this and basically is just like, I fucking hate you, Dad. Um, Did but- you notice they had a really good scene change at that point where they just, like, turned around with the camera and she was wearing different clothes? Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was really Pretty interesting yeah. the, the way that worked. Well, and even her room was really interesting because her room was, like, the idea, I think, of, like, what an 11 or 12-year-old little girl would think is, like, the ideal room. It's, like... It's big, but then it's not. It's boisterous. It's filled with, like, color and filled with, like, this wallpaper, this beautiful, like, flower wallpaper everywhere. Like, it's... The color kind of changed. Like, sometimes it was purple, sometimes it was pink, sometimes... I don't know. I really liked all of that. Yeah, it was just super artistic. Um, And I gotta say, even though it wasn't necessarily, like, this probably wasn't the point, but... (laughs) The picture of her mom, anytime they showed the mom, like, in her wedding gown, and her wedding hood, the mom looked creepy. I'm just going to say that. Like, when her wedding hood was, like, showing only half her face and stuff, I was like, that looks like a, a ghost I fight in Fable Frame. Yeah. Well, this might be jumping the gun a bit, too, talking about how everything in this film feels so purposeful. Yeah. Where it's, there's a scene where she is, like, sitting at her desk in her bedroom, and the camera, like, slowly zooms out. And just immediately on the wall to the right of her is the painting Christina's World. Yeah. Which is like the lone girl like on the hill kind of like helpless. And that was just an interesting, like it was so pointed. And like that really caused me to notice everything else. Yeah, because what, what, what's the like, what's the whole idea? You, you mentioned like what that uh, mm-hmm. interpretation of that painting is. Like what is it again? Because it seemed to mirror a lot of like Gorgeous's journey like in this movie. Well, so I think what the, from what I've read about it, what the painter intended is that it was a, a girl who had polio and so her legs didn't work and she would get herself around the farm by literally physically dragging herself through the dirt and you know you look and there's the hill and the house like so far in the distance and the first time I saw it it seemed like this kind of hopeless it created a real sense of despair but the way it's actually intended is to be hopefulness as this idea of like overcoming your obstacles and this idea of like being able to reach the things that you need to reach but even just aside from the interpretation just that image of like a lone girl and that's just such a I mean it is it was in 2001 like it's a big painting because the entire movie movie gorgeous seems to stand alone in her group from her group like 
they all mm-hmm. like each other and they all especially like gorgeous but she even like she always maintains a little bit of separation from the rest of the group all, all the other girls seem to have almost better friendships or interactions with them reminds me of that Japanese novel you actually recommended to me um, the colorless or I, I forget the name of it colorless Sukaru and yes his, um, yeah the Haruki Murakami yeah novel. yeah um, gorgeous remind me of the main character in that because yeah. like the whole group had like they signed colors to each other except him because he was always kind of aloof and so they called him the colorless and gorgeous in that movie kind of reminded me of that yeah Gershot is a fantastic book if you haven't read that by the way I I want to read some more Murakami stuff I, I got I kind of got in the hole when we were doing the audition episode mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of want to go back and go through some of his stuff especially while I'm still driving and have time to go through audiobooks Christina's World is one of my like all time favorite paintings mm-hmm. um i had like a small like frame of that for a while it was weird because I, I didn't notice it until this viewing when i rewatched it the other night but i just recently watched some other movie that happened to have that painting it's in a few and i can't remember what it was and i just had to google because i was thinking it was maybe the reflecting skin but reflecting skin just fucking looks like that painting entirely but um i think it actually might have been scary stories to tell in the dark really Um, my wife and i just went and saw that this past week and i want to say that that painting is like hanging up in one of the houses of the kids and the Mm. families i'm pretty sure that's where i just recently saw it so as gorgeous is going through this box full of old photos of her and her mother she basically comes across one of her aunt and she remembers oh yeah my aunt lives near the shore she has this big house let me go visit her just to kind of like get away and forget about everything so she writes to her aunt saying like hey i want to come visit you right because she hadn't seen her in years and kind of out of nowhere a white cat just shows up and all of a sudden she's just like well i guess this cat's mine we laughed because in that scene she just lets this cat that appears on her window so like in the house and like you're mine now yeah. And uh, this, uh, just straight up, this cat is throughout the entire movie, it, whether it's in the background of a scene, the focus of a scene, or even just like wood carvings on the walls and art on the walls of a white cat. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. everywhere it's in this movie. It's a big, fluffy white cat. Yeah. And I, there's got to be a yokai associated with like a white cat being mischievous or a messenger or something. Ne- neko. Yeah. I mean, ne- um, neko is just the Japanese yeah. word for cat. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Which, yeah, actually, my favorite thing about the cat is its name is Blank. Yeah. Which anytime the cat was on screen, I just kept having this thought of it always depended upon the kindness of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there is actually a uh, cat yokai, Bakaneko, which means changed cat. Um, it's a cat that's changed into a yokai, and it is typically depicted standing up, and it dances with a napkin on its head. That All kind of, right. that kind of <laughs> applies to that cat. There's I don't think that cat dancing. ever put a napkin on its head. No, but it did dance <laughs> at one point. Kind of. <laughs> so she writes to her aunt and pretty much immediately gets a reply back saying, yeah, come on over. Which, which I did notice right then. The cat was sitting on top of the mailbox. Totally. And all of a sudden, the uh, letter appears. Up. Yeah. So I had written down, like, the cat might be the postman. Uh, <laughs> I had right here from watching the movie that the cat might be postman. And then I kept referring in my notes to the cat as postman Blanche. <laughs> 
But that cat definitely made that letter appear. Totally. Magic yeah. cat, demon cat. Well, you also see, like, the green, like, flash in its eyes, too, at that point. Yeah. From there, it goes into this hilarious scene. I absolutely loved where the movie went from there. It just starts into this weird Mr. Rogers neighborhood-esque, like, okay, there's a guy sitting there, and he's where he has a sign up that says shoes maker yep. which I have that written down best character in the whole movie shoes maker the shoes maker is the production designer Oh, and wow. the little girl is the director's daughter. Oh, <laughs> yep. That's great. And then uh, a guy gets a bucket stuck on his butt. Yep. And Mr. Uh, Togo like accidentally falls into a bucket, and like stop motion animation like goes down some stairs and through traffic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the movie uh, for a brief second becomes something completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so good. And that kind of leads to how the whole thing gets set in motion because he was supposed to be taking the other girls to the training camp and he gets in contact with them and basically says, hey, I have a bucket on my ass. I have to go to the hospital. hospital yeah. <laughs> so the and, training and they can't get him to the hospital. He has to wait yeah. until the next day yeah. to get this bucket off of his ass. <laughs> so gorgeous. And he trips over the cat. That, that The white cat yeah. causes him to trip and do that. So I, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So gorgeous reaches out to her friends the next day at school and like says, hey, why don't we all just go to my aunt's house instead? And they're like, yeah, sure, cool, let's do that. <laughs> so they all go to the train station. Um, we see a weird montage of all these other people. Um, there's like definitely like this band of hippie dudes, which that is the band Godaigo um, that did the music. Um, but there's like nuns, and there's like a weird romance scene happening on the train with like this woman like calling out to her lover, and that's the director. So there's all kinds of like weird people on this train ride, and they're all talking about like what fun things they're gonna do once they get there. Um, Matt feeds a burger to the cat. Yes, Matt. Matt definitely is constantly eating, and she feeds the cat a burger, um, which I think is actually uh, 1977 started the entire craze that happened in the early 2000s on the internet of I can't have cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's bad? Correct. Some of our listeners might be too young to get that reference. <laughs> well. So the main thing on this train ride is Gorgeous tells the story of her aunt to the rest of the girls. And we find out that the aunt was engaged and she was in a great relationship, but this was during World War II. And so her fiance got called up to the war. So he got he got drafted. He basically immediately died in the war and she was kind of left alone. And right after the war, conveniently, her sister, which is Gorgeous's mom, got married and everything kind of went well for her. Um, so her aunt definitely is like still kind of bitter about that loss well, and bitter like toward the war itself. So this is like the most kind of horror element to me at least in this movie because this is like yeah it's also kind of portrayed a little bit goofy because like this whole movie is goofy and, and ridiculous but this part is probably the most dark and serious in, in, in some ways because her uh, she loses her fiance but it also shows like during these scenes it shows imagery of like soldiers marching off to war it shows imagery of the atomic bombs being dropped um which that kind of there is a a bit of interpretation of this movie that kind of overshadows the whole thing is post dropping of the atomic weapons on on japan and that was still relatively fresh and it was real relatively fresh because it was only what like what 30 years maybe yeah it was 30 uh, years 30 years or so after we after the u.s did that after we did that 
I want to get back to that. Like, we think about it, we're only about 20 years removed now from 9-11, and people still talk about that all the time. Every day. Totally. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, 30 years from an atomic bomb being dropped on your country is yeah. you know, a really short and, period and, of time. And in terms of, like, real-life shit, you know, this, this all directly plays into the director Obayashi's experience because he was a kid during Hiroshima, and literally all of his friends growing up died. All of them. Yeah, I read he's, like, he's like the only kid from his entire village that survived. Yeah, they all died in the bomb. Yeah. Like, in the, the atomic weapon. And also, too, this is just fears that play off of uh, a lot of people who are have family in the military, married in the military. I mean, uh, like not to get too personal, but, like, my wife, who Lauren's sister, is in the military and currently, like, not in a position right now to where we can talk regularly. And, like, even that, even though I know she's perfectly safe and everything like that, it's still just... It's scary to think about that something like war can just take somebody away that quickly and leave you to the point where you still think... You still have that weird hope that that person's going to wind up, like, knocking on your door one day and showing up again and being like, hey, I returned. Like, maybe they didn't die. Maybe they just went missing, which is what happens with it, her aunt. Because, like, even in the story, they share that, like, her aunt always waited, always continued to wait for her fiancé to return. She never believed that he actually died, that he just disappeared and was missing. Even at one point after she tells the story, like, all her other friends, like, uh, fantasy or, or someone is like, that's so romantic. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's romantic, but it's also fucking tragic and dark as hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And a, lot also, this, a lot of this part of the movie really reminds Reminded me as well of one of my other favorite movies, uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. Like a lot of that uh, kind of pulled up right there as well. Yeah. And the way that they're talking about the war, especially, like one of them describes the atomic, you know, mushroom cloud as like, oh, it's so pretty, like cotton candy. Mm-hmm. And they're being so trite about it because they weren't there to experience it. Mm-hmm. And they're so far removed from that, like even as an idea. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like the ant's bitterness toward that, like just the whole idea of like all these kids have it so good. They didn't have to experience what we had to go through. They have no concept of it, blah, blah, blah. And they treat that great tragedy, like as a trite thing that they're making fun of. And that's like a weird thing that I'm kind of starting to see now, which weirds me out because we were in middle school when 9/11 happened. At least yeah. I was. I was. I, I, I was. I was in seventh grade. Sixth grade. Yeah. Um, Fourth grade. Yeah. And so, like, I'm just old enough that I can remember a time before 9-11, a time before, like, everything started... I still remember airports before 9-11. Yeah, like, we we were conscious enough as, like, human beings to remember what everything was kind of like beforehand, before schools got, like, real militant, you know, especially after Columbine in 98, and then especially after 9-11, airports and just everything. Well, and even, Um, even when we were kids, like, teachers were telling us like in sixth and seventh grade right after it happened like you guys don't realize this but your lives are changed forever and at the time i was like how is that like yeah this sucks that this happened but like how is this gonna affect my life yeah they were totally fucking right i was a little shitty kid that didn't know better what i'm seeing now because i i deal with a lot of college kids so like on a yearly basis every year i have a whole new crop of college kids that i have to deal with on a regular basis with my job we are literally to the fucking point now where I'm dealing with college kids who were born after fucking 9-11. Yeah. And so they have, like, no concept of any of it. And that, to me, is just, like, a weird fucking thing when I see some of these kids come in and, like, I see their birth dates. And it's, like, 
2001, two, and there's like no concept there whatsoever of how anything was before there's, that. There's a lot of people serving in the military now, or who weren't even who alive. Who weren't even alive yeah. on 9/11. I saw like a news story about that a while back, where like some kid was like the first kid to be enlisted and join up, like who wasn't even fucking alive when 9/11 happened, <laughs> which is so, mind blowing. There's a so I know we're really off topic, but like going hand in hand with this, because this does play into this this fear of like post World War II. Japan and these children because I mean when they said that in that movie I could totally picture Japanese youth in like the 60s and 70s being like the mushroom cloud looked pretty and like yeah. that would like to them that was just an innocent thing that they mm-hmm. just said and they didn't know any better but to adults that actually lived through that that's fucking horrifying to hear. Or it's moved but, from like being history to being pop culture. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a website called the Duffel Blog, which is literally just the Onion, like a parody news site, but for specifically for the military. And one of their articles from a couple of years ago, right around like when mm-hmm. soldiers who were born in like 2000 or in 2001, 2002 were 18 and were able to enlist. Well, the article was basically like sergeant is excited to patrol the same routes in Afghanistan that his father did and it was less like yeah that could technically sort of happen now which is fucking crazy which at the same time I don't think we should come down so very hard on the girls no not in no. the way no. that so it was the one that I really got me was when the um, fiance is walking away and he looks so distraught and so sad and it's raining and so you can't quite tell even if he's crying. Sure. And yeah. one of the girls says, like, oh, he's so manly. And I think that actually goes back to more the perspective of youth, where that would be the, you know, the director speaking with his daughter, yeah. where you do just, you don't have that context. And how could you even have that context? Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll freely admit, like, there were times where I know I made really tasteless jokes as a little kid about 9-11, like, only a year or two after it happened. And if my parents or somebody heard, heard the wrong person heard that, they would have slapped the shit out of me, and I pro- I did deserve it. So, I, I but I didn't mean anything by it. It was mm-hmm. all just immaturity. And I think that's kind of what this... I don't think they're at wrong at all for saying this, but because it, it, it's an accurate representation of, of, like I said, what I think the youth probably were like. They just, like you were saying, no context mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So the girls take the train. They arrive at the small village that is nearby the aunt's house. And <laughs> this in this fucking village, village. <laughs> in this village, I they could live here are forever. Do it. I could live there forever. Yes. <laughs> they are greeted by the watermelon man, who is exactly what he sounds like, because that's what everybody's names are in this movie. Is exactly what they are. Um, he is a guy who sells watermelons. I like how she grabs the watermelon off the shelf, and his face is just there right behind right the watermelon, making that fucking face. I have a note here that uh, just it says "watermelon man, demonic blobfish with an anime villain laugh." <laughs> <laughs> and and over like the intro and the trailers and everything, that voice, that deep like "howsu" is the fucking watermelon man, who again is the composer of the movie. <laughs> Um, so what a gorgeous man! Oh yeah, you know he tries to sell them a watermelon. They're like, oh no, we're good, and they all kind of run off. Um, so they make their way toward the aunt's house. Of course, Mac, the one that likes food, she like ends up coming back with a watermelon, fucking anyway. Well, he even makes a comment that like the village has dried up and like no one's there anymore. Yeah, and doesn't he make a comment about how the how the village has no more girls in it mm-hmm. anymore yeah, when no, they no first more, no more little girls in the village? Yeah. yeah. 
so they get to the aunt's house and everything's kind of weird immediately because the house is you know really kind of ramshackle and um lots of plants kind of growing all over it um so clearly like the house has not been well taken care of um but they go in and they encounter the aunt and she is like gray haired sunglasses on in a wheelchair and they greet her. She seems to be happy to see them. You know, they present her with the watermelon as like a, hey, we're here to crash your house out. We brought a watermelon. We brought literally the only thing they sell in your town. Yeah. <laughs> and there are some, like, there's like one or two ridiculous, like, false jump scares, which are not jump scares at all, but like, that fucking awful crow that, like, yeah. goes by and it's obviously, like, on a string and, like, it makes a weird fucking like, stock noise of what you think a crow sounds like and it's yeah. fucking awful. <laughs> um, but they go in the house, lots of things are like weird and creaky, and doors are already shutting by themselves, and just lots the, of weirdness. The cat's eyes flash, the, the chandelier, like parts of the chandelier come down and stuff. Yeah, so, so the aunt's like, yeah, let me turn on these lights, and all the girls are just like enamored by, uh, I don't know, electricity? Yeah. And so, <laughs> they're just like, oh my god, this is so great, it's lights. Even though they took a train to they, they took a train like they were in a big city before that uh but no a chandelier is the most amazing thing they've ever seen before yeah and then all of a sudden yeah as derek was mentioning the cat's eyes they flash this green and all of a sudden all these like pieces of the chandelier start falling and stab a lizard and then kung fu kung fu's the shit out of some of the camp chandelier yeah and like when we say the girl named kung fu she literally is like super human-esque kung fu like matrix fly through the air granted it's the seven it's the 70s and this movie does effects ridiculously on purpose so she's the only girl in the crew that has her own theme song yeah 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 exactly like a superhero theme song and but like it just does quick cuts so she's actually like not flying through the air but it's implied and yeah she's like flying through the air kicking shit out of the way yeah. and it's like, a lot of wires and like reverse photography and yeah. that kind of stuff and they just never mention it past that like every time kung fu kung fu's the shit out of something they're like, oh, you're so strong. That's yeah, it. Just can't ignore the fact that I don't know. Yeah, she was a she was a goddamn like super ninja, basically. So the ant immediately is just like, yeah, cool. Let's you know go put this watermelon down in the well to keep it cool and like make it all like fresh when we get ready to eat it. Even though well, there were... he does not want them near the refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 out of order. They, yeah. they like go through the kitchen and immediately it's just like some Beauty and the Beast shit where she's like, yeah, Mister Oven, like get warmed up for us. And the oven's just kind of like, hur, hur, okay. Um, but they go to put the watermelon in the fridge, like you were saying, and Dan's just like, uh, no, you're not going in the fridge. It's and, out of order. Yeah. Wink. Wink. And then, like, Lauren, doesn't doesn't she make a, a comment, like, or she says, like, let's put it in the well, and one of the girls is like, oh, it's so rustic and charming if we do it that way. Or <laughs> So yeah, they like tie this watermelon up to a, like a rope and lower it down into the well for later. And then we see them all kind of sitting around eating dinner and chit-chatting and hanging out. And the aunt is not there for dinner. Yeah. She is... Uh, the aunt is in her room because she is like stressed or whatever. Yeah. yeah or too much a, time in the sun. Too much, too much time in the sun. Yeah. Once they're done eating, Mac decides that she's going to go get the watermelon from the well. And she goes out back to get it. Or she goes out back, disappears. And so one of the other girls is then like, cool, we need to go find her. So fantasy goes back around to find Mac because she's disappeared. Of course, they assume, oh, there's a potato field nearby 
probably that fat ass went to go get some potatoes. <laughs> because they grow baked. They, yeah. She loves baked potatoes. Yeah, she loves baked potatoes. She's going to go. Yeah, so they're constantly <laughs> just like ragging on her for like eating constantly, um, which she is. She's constantly just like throwing donuts down or whatever. So Fantasy goes to find her and looks in the well and pulls up the rope and guess what? It's not a watermelon. It's Mac's fucking head and the head immediately starts laughing and flying around the air and it bites Fantasy on the butt. <laughs> Alright, so this was my first my first point in the movie where I noticed the yokai imagery and I have it written down right here. Um, it's the yokai known as Nuke Kube, okay. uh, which translates into I believe a uh, removable neck or something along those lines. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just a yokai that is a floating head that follows people around or, I don't know, you see it in a lot of Japanese movies. I, I yeah. And I think, like, it is a trickster as well. Like, it's one of the more trickster yokai. So, like, the idea of it, like, not necessarily attacking a kill, but, like, biting her on the butt. Like, makes yeah. yeah. So, sense. I have it, like, written here, yokai comes out, ate her ass, and threw up. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Because as soon as it bites her on the butt, it just, like, pukes blood and, like, falls back into the well. Now, granted, yeah. the imagery and just the concept of that alone is horrifying. Like, that is, like... I guess when they pull up what she thinks is a watermelon turns out to be head could be, like, a jump scare. But again, like, this movie is just kind of so ridiculous and goofy that, like, it was less scary shocking and more just like, what the fuck is this kind of... Yeah, there was nothing in this movie that even remotely seemed like a jump scare to me. Yeah, Like, there was nothing that... There was nothing, like, where the scare relied on it being a sudden thing. Like, it didn't... But yeah, Which I appreciate. Yeah. Going back to the idea of the trickster, just as a brief thing, this will come up again later... Fantasy has the roughest time in this movie, and it's, Absolutely. it's like constantly playing tricks on fantasy. And like she's the only one for a while that realizes kind of what the fuck is going on, and no one's believing her. And it's like she is a target. Like, oh poor girl. Yeah, because because fantasy is the one that went out there and found Max's head. Yeah, and then came back in and told everybody, no, like it's in the well, it's in the well, and they're and like, they yeah, a up. watermelon, we know. Yeah. And, and then they pull it up, and it's the watermelon. Yeah, again. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which and has like no. Which I swear been, it was Max's head. It has been perfectly chilled, so yeah. it works. Yeah, because yeah, later on they were eating the watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> Which they ate. They bring it back in, and then they all sit around eating it, and I love it because the ant is like eating the watermelon now and just crunching into it and just kind of giving like a wink wink at the camera. She stands up. Yeah. Too, out of the, out of the, and there's, the there's wheelchair. A, there's a moment where she like pops her mouth open and there's an eyeball in her mouth and she kind of winks at one of the girls like it's hi fantasy. It's, fantasy. Yeah, it's fantasy yeah only fantasy and, sees it um, and yeah. that that was actually sort of creepy that yeah. one was generally kind of sort of creepy that like the eyeball me. in the mouth yeah I was not See, expecting that that one like, got me a bit like yeah. yeah and then like you said a second ago like after that moment of like haha gotcha I know what's going on um, she does just like stand up out of her wheelchair and all the girls are amazed like oh shit what? Are you, like, feeling better all of a sudden? She's just like, yeah, it's y'all, great. I'm full of energy because y'all are here now or yeah. something like that. All of y'all are here and it gives me energy. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, nudge, they, start, nudge. Like, they start, like, cleaning up after dinner. Yeah. Uh, cleaning up all the watermelon rinds and everything. And I noticed nobody noticed it, like, of the crew. They're just, like, washing dishes and not looking at what they're doing. And the well's pumping blood. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the kitchen sink, the, like, pump in the kitchen, and all of a sudden just starts pumping, like, red blood out. And the yeah. prop is drinking it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and also, too, uh, throughout the entire movie, like, even in these scenes when, like, before shit really hits, uh, like, hits the van, 
doors and shit are opening and closing like yeah. on their own all over the damn place. Things in the background. Things in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a ske- like an anatomical skeleton because they mentioned that the grandfather was like a doctor and he used to see patients. First of all, that skeleton is like not at all anatomical. That is like the <laughs> most like Mr. Skeleton's like goofy bones. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty it's- sure he was the sidekick. From uh, he was the sidekick from Craig Ferguson's late night show. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a party city decoration that no one wanted, so yeah. it got like stuck high up on the. I like how it has one eye, like fake eyeball in it too, yeah. <laughs> like a <laughs> shitty fake eyeball in the like, skeleton. But yeah, like this Mr. Skeleton is just you know like dancing around the background constantly and waving his arms and like they're not. This, this was the beginning of Mr. Bones' wild ride. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that's the thing. Like, it's openly dancing, and no, all, anyone, all they have to do is turn around yeah. and never turns around to see this fucking thing moving around. So, while some of the girls are cleaning the kitchen, the aunt comes back in and it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling better. Okay, bye. And she fucking opens the refrigerator door and walks into the refrigerator. And, like, dance backwards, like, not like moonwalks, but, like, backwards walks into yeah. it. Yeah. In full view of fantasy. When Again, no one else yeah. is watching. No one else and is she's, out. like, looking at fantasy as yeah. she's doing this. And fantasy immediately, like, drops the plate, screams. Freaks out. And yeah. then the two others, I think it's, like, Kung Fu and Melody or Prof. somebody. Yeah. And Prof, like, they turn around like, oh, you're so clumsy, fantasy. Now, so. I will say, before all that happens... There is a scene where Sweet goes into this closet looking for something, and there's like a, a doll, uh, like a talking doll that locks mm. Sweet in this room. And so, that, that's, yeah, that, that's like about to happen right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the ant like walks into the fridge and disappears, and then reappears in the rafters and is just dancing because she's so fucking happy that so, all those girls are here. I now. Will, okay, so well, let's pause here because this this part did kind of freak Lorna. This scene legitimately creeped me out. So I will say my response this movie from the get-go I really like horror films where there's just that everything seems normal everything seems fine but there's that underlying feeling of like something is not quite right yeah and going back to like the idea of the euphoria and like how stylized it is throughout the whole movie there is this feeling of everything is so pleasant but it's artificial like you were saying it's not quite right and so I felt kind of vaguely creeped out then that scene where the ant goes backwards the girls are kind of in like the background of the shot and the ant is like when she's in the rafters she is right up in the camera in the foreground yeah and when she appeared in the foreground that got me (laughs) she appears and kind of crawls out and is looking at the girls and then she turns and looks at the camera yeah and smiles yeah she like breaks the fourth wall directly at you yeah i do not like that (laughs) (laughs) i i will give you credit because that is like that is a pretty freaky image um it didn't like while it didn't bother me that much. Like I can understand completely how that could be like scary to a lot of people. And yeah, it was just that I think it was the fact that she was so close, and it was suddenly like almost this moment of like, yeah, I see you, and I am a threat to you too. Was just like, Ugh. yeah, 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 like, Ugh. and that's a legitimately like fear that uh, uh, when horror movies do that because they don't do it very often, at least good ones. But when they do it, it's, it can be very effective. The, the scene that always comes to my mind, granted, it's not necessarily breaking the fourth wall, but it's actually, of all movies, it's the American remake of The Grudge, which, while not a great movie, scared the living shit out of me when I saw it. And there's that scene where... 
he's watching um, a security video of mm-hmm. like one of the, the people who disappeared because the ghost attacked them. And the security video shows the ghost coming like towards it. And the, the, the security video starts like getting staticky. Then it goes like, then it like this black form comes from right underneath the security camera, like right up at the covering the entire screen. And then these two eyes just open right in the security camera screen. And it's like one of those moments of just like, now the movie is almost haunting me. Mm-hmm. And like now I feel threatened. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly what this scene kind of evokes. Yeah. And the tonal whiplash in this movie is great because it goes from this creepy moment immediately into like <laughs> the best scene in the movie. The yeah, and, I, the, and I, like I, soft shoeing in the rafters and the cat like stepping across the keys of the piano and literally like going meow, 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 meow. <laughs> I have it written down like Anne goes in fridge, cue best scene in cinematic history. <laughs> and we actually, we actually, after we watched this movie, we rewatched this scene like two or three times, like just for the cat. <laughs> Just for that cat and the meow remix of the like main theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. So during this part, uh, this is what you brought up a second ago to like where Sweet is going to get like bedding for everybody out of this like weird closet room off to the side of the house. And while she's in there, all of a sudden she's like attacked by mattresses. I'm actually talking about something different. Before that happened, she got locked in a room by this talking creepy doll. And things start like going a little weird. Um, and then, and, and yeah, then yeah, Gorgeous yeah, goes to take a bath and like this hair, this creepy hair starts coming out. From, Which, yeah, that was legitimately kind yeah, of creepy. Like, creepy hair starts good. coming out of the back and Kung Fu is like chopping some wood and then all yeah. of a sudden all this the wood flops up into the air <laughs> yeah. and kung fu kung fu some wood so hard her pants come off yeah, yeah. Which my favorite part so all that happens and it's stylized and it's crazy and she like lands from her kung fu kick and she just goes that was ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> and then she catches her pants i think and right? never <laughs> puts them back and on. never puts them back on the she's rest like, of the movie she just doesn't have pants and she's on. in her underwear yeah so clearly like wink audience like yeah well and and it's and, like we'll talk about tonal whiplash like you were saying earlier like that just that brief scene in the bath where like the hair is slowly starting to creep up that her back of her like her bare back Mm-hmm. That is fucking terrifying because, like, later on, like, like, like later J horror movies, like The Ring, like The Grudge, always has that kind of ghostly form that has long, flowing black hair that seems to be like tendrils. Uh, but then also, too, yeah, like you were saying, with the uh, after the creepy doll walks her in the room and then goes back to her, and then that's when the mattresses start falling on her, like, literally attacking her. How the director was saying that his 11 or 12 year old daughter gave him a lot of ideas for this movie one of her ideas was that childlike idea of like what would happen if like mattresses start like you went to your closet open the closet and mattresses fell out and just yeah. started attacking she had like you. a weird phobia of like what if all these mattresses like and, me, like, and so the director is like cool we're putting that in the movie like yeah. it's an actual thing even before that started happening though there were some really interesting scenes like before all the mattress scene um, there was a scene where uh, this metronome just starts moving back and forth and Melody starts playing this song that's on the piano and the yeah. aunt purposely leaves yeah. a sheet of music yeah, on the, the piano sheet of music and it like kind of winks at the camera yeah, yeah. yeah during the whole like cat dancing scene yeah 
And that got me too, where it's, you know, she's dancing around, she's so like happy and like euphoric, and she's setting up the traps for the girl. Yeah, and it seems like any time that melody is played, whether it be by the piano or like when she opens the, um, I guess a locket in her music box. It's a music box. Anytime like that melody starts playing, that's when shit gets really weird in the house. That's when the cat flashes the uh, green light in its eyes and all kinds of weird shit happens. And it's very, oh sorry, back to the tonal whiplash, it's a very pretty song. Like it's very romantic and yeah. it's kind of yeah. meant to be. Uh, there was another scene that just happened right along that same. But it was a lot of like scenes back to back really quickly. Yeah. Um, another scene that really caught my eye. Another piece of yokai imagery. When Gorgeous moved up to, she went upstairs and went up to the attic or whatever it was upstairs she went to. And there's a big like mirror there, and she starts putting on this makeup while the music box yeah. is playing this music. And she's looking in the mirror, and all of a sudden like uh, the lipstick is like very red and covering like most of the bottom part of her mouth and her teeth get really long vampire like yeah um there's a japanese yokai it's an oni um you see a lot of oni masks and things like that oni Oni i do know uh just from pop culture but also like the movie oni baba yeah well they're they're more demonic like yokai basically Uh, that was the second like piece of yokai imagery that i noticed in the movie and there's probably so i mean i'm not that well versed in it i just know what i know from video games and things like that. But I'm sure there's some that were in there that I just completely missed because, I mean, there's thousands of sure. people. Well, and there, so. this was the moment, like, those moments where Gorgeous is in the room, opens the music box, like, starts looking through what is basically her aunt's, like, vanity um, and, like, is putting on a lipstick and everything. I got most tense here because mirrors, like horror movies that utilize mirrors in really well like well done ways fucking creep me out so much like the idea of like look in a mirror there's something there behind you or in the mirror you look back it's not there that's I know it's a basic like overdone cliche but it is always effective for me yeah mirrors are like inherently like a weird creepy hard to wrap your head around thing like even if you know like exactly how a mirror works it's still just kind of one of those unsettling things in a variety of ways well and, and gorgeous seems to it's implied in the scenes too that gorgeous is not who she is like she becomes something different well i actually think this scene right here where she's putting on the makeup and everything is the last time you actually see gorgeous in the movie. yeah yes because uh, it shows like her body and it's superimposed with like orange static which looks kind of like fire um i think it is just like fire yeah yeah, just fire yeah so like she's gone her. at that point uh well she's looking in the mirror and her image becomes the ant looking back at her. Yeah, yeah. And then the mirror cracks. And then her face cracks. And her face, like, pieces start falling off of her face. And it's like an animated, like, thing, like you said, fire behind her. Yeah, it looks like a disclosure um, album cover. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, she's totally, like, becoming possessed by, like, the spirit of the house or by the spirit of the well, end at that point. And yeah, when I, I agree with, like, this is, like, the last time that, like, Gorgeous is actually in the movie. And when I think of, like, in the newest Twin Peaks revival series from, like, a couple years ago, anytime someone, like, opened their face and yeah. there was something behind it, yeah. that reminded me of this. Totally, yeah. Well, and also, now I'm blanking on this, you don't really see the ant beyond that point. Like, the ant kind of disappears from most of the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. She mm-hmm. she's kind of gone. Well, past this I point, just yeah. think every time because at this point, at this point, Mac has already gone. Yeah. Sweet is getting wrecked by mattresses, mm-hmm. um, and it's implied Sweet's gone now too. Yeah. Well, because she come every time the aunt shows back up after one of the girls disappears, at least early part of the film. She's younger. And she's younger, younger yeah. and she's this time instead of just not only is she walking, she removes her glasses, glasses are off, are off yeah. now. And like she even licks her lips when she like first shows up on the screen, implying that like yeah, she, she just, just had ate. a meal yeah. or ate. So there's that. Sweet's gone. Gorgeous is gone at this point. So you know she's getting younger and younger. And so I think from that point, every time it shows Gorgeous, it is the aunt. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and yet again, the only one who witnesses Sweet is Fantasy, who then runs to get the other girls when she comes back with the other girls. The mattresses are just in disarray. All of Sweet's clothes are there, but Sweet is yeah. nowhere to be found. Well, they find a doll. The same. The they, doll. they find, like, the doll from earlier, implying that, like, maybe Sweet and has become now, the new doll. Now, I did write down that I thought that filming that scene was probably a lot of fun. Whoever's up there just <laughs> chucking mattresses at this 15-year-old girl yeah. just on the ground, just throwing more and more mattresses. And I love that, like, the just scene like is that, being filmed from underneath. Yeah. And it's clear, like, through glass where they've drawn in the slats of, like, you su- you're supposed to be looking th- up through the floor at this the entire time. It's just, it's a really weird angle. But, yeah, just, like, whoever's just throwing feather pillows and, like, mattresses so, and shit on top of this girl. I'm just imagining glass. that scene from Kung Pao Enter the Fist where they're all beating him on the ground with yeah. sticks. <laughs> and just going with it and going with it and going with it. Um, well, and another thing that should be noted, too, because, uh, <laughs> like... didn't say stop. <laughs> Uh, another thing that should be known too is when Fantasy like first finds Mac and like she's looking for Mac right before she gets attacked by her floating head she sees Mac's clothes and that's kind of like what triggers her like where are you Mac when they f- discover that Sweet is missing among the mattresses and the doll is Sweet's clothes and throughout the movie anytime one of the girls disappear their clothes are removed like yeah, they're, they're just naked from they're, that they're naked yeah. from that point until they disappear and there is a bit of like sexuality kind of throughout this entire movie like the idea of hitting puberty and going through puberty um what do you think is the purpose of that like them like being stripped of their clothes when they're quote-unquote devoured by the aunt i think it has something to do with and i I think we're jumping forward in the movie a little bit by mentioning this yeah but uh it mentions that in order for her towards the end of the movie no one of the things they mentioned towards the end of the movie is that they have the aunt has to basically devour like young pure virgins or something yeah so i think that not having clothes is part of the purity of virginity or whatever kind of bullshit thing they add on to that right um right. so that makes I, more sense i you. think that has a lot to do with it right there mm-hmm. yeah at this point the girls kind of all like know what's going on um and they're trying to get out of the house right and as they go out the front door trying to go out the front door gorgeous's head just pops out of the front door like this huge massive head that fills the room and basically just tells the girls like nah y'all are fucked y'all are all locked in at this point sorry and this was a like yeah, this was another, another yokai, yokai another yokai imagery uh, there's a yokai surube Yatoshi, which is uh, just basically a gigantic head okay um, which is it's not really like the floating head but just basically like a gigantic dismembered head uh, it's often seen like that it just like rolls around 
Not really. Just rolls around. Maybe it just, I, I don't really know, but maybe <laughs> yeah, like it's very tiny of, feet. Yeah, well, it just like wobbles back and forth on his cheeks, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing Japan on that might be right. Yeah. Um, but at this point, yeah, the girls are like trying to figure out how to get out of the house. And I love that, like, Prof, who's the smart one, you know, in air quotes because she has glasses, I love that her solution is just, let's find the ant and get her to let us out of the house. <laughs> So that's like the magic solution. Um, Prof is my second fave by yeah. Kung Fu. Don't mess I with thought, that. I thought Prof was like the least interesting of all of the characters. Oh no, like character-wise there wasn't much there, but like just the, her mannerisms and the way she spoke was hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was interesting how like, and almost kind of going back to fantasy where like she is the one that in most days is like out of touch with reality and that yeah. she's in love with her creepy teacher. But in this moment, like, she is the only one that's like, guys, no, she's gone. Like, Sweet's gone. And the girls are like, well, her clothes are here. Maybe she just stripped. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, they're so out of touch. Yeah. So they go to uh, the aunt's bedroom, and they're looking for her, and they happen to find Matt's hand, like, in a jar, because uh, the aunt had been, like, munching on that hand earlier. And they show that, like, a in one of the panorama scenes yeah. of just quick scenes, like, her chewing on the hand. Yeah, that's right around the time that they were singing the cat song. Yeah, the yeah. cat meow cat song. So they basically coerce Melody into playing the piano to like keep everybody calm and, you know, keep them in good spirits. And previously Melody sat down to play the piano and it like bit her finger and kind of freaked her out. And um, this is the same Melody that anytime it's played weird shit happens. Yeah. So Melody the girl sits down to play the piano. They hear Gorgeous singing upstairs again and Prof and Kung Fu go upstairs to check that out and see if Gorgeous happens to be up there. And while they're up there, Melody gets eaten by the fucking piano. It immediately like bites all of her fingers off, and she just kind of stares at her like stumpy finger hands, and is just like, "Oh yeah, this is totally fine with me." Lol, lol, smiling. And then the piano just like completely envelops her and munches her down, and she's caught in like the strings of the piano and stretching them, and like the lid is slamming, and her arms and legs and feet are like all flying off in different directions and floating around. I think there's some camera work going on right here where, like, they show like her head dancing in one part of the screen and, like, yeah. her legs in another part and I don't know what that would be considered camera work-wise, but... Yeah. Uh, it, it's just it's like... all a bunch of pieces. Like It's like Satan's kaleidoscope at yeah. this point, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, at one point, Fantasy, like, fucking just faints because, like, one of the limbs slides off nearby. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. Fantasy was left behind with her and when uh, Prof and Kung Fu went to go look for Gorgeous. Yeah. Well, even, like, in the middle of all of that, like, all this madness going on of this piano eating a girl, there's the shot where it, like, looks at the, like, keys in the front of the piano, and her legs are hanging out of it, like it's a mouth, yeah. and her head appears in the front and is a bit like, ooh, that's, I don't remember what she says. Yeah, she's but like, she, that's naughty, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, upstairs, Kung Fu and Prof walk into the bedroom that Gorgeous was in, where she was putting on her aunt's, like, makeup and everything, and they walk in to find Gorgeous wearing the white bridal gown of her aunt with like the big hood and the long robe and so everything. Creepy. She's got, yeah, it's such a creepy. That's the part where on, you, yeah. Derek, were just like, okay, this is really creepy. Yeah, that outfit just itself is creepy. Yeah. To me. And From like a ghost don't, standpoint. Don't get married in Japan. Pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm already married, asshole. Well, um, don't do it again in Japan. <laughs> gorgeous, or like what appears to be gorgeous at this point, gives the other girls the aunt's diary. And so they now have this diary with like a little embossed cat on the front of it. So Kung Fu kind of follows Gorgeous out of the room and then they happened upon Sweet's body which is trapped in like this giant grandfather clock and the gears are all spinning in the clock and it's like filling up with blood and you just see Sweet's head like in the top of the clock um, so she has now been like this is where she ended up essentially the house kind of ate her through the like blankets and pillows and mattresses and now she's trapped inside this clock which this image could be pretty creepy just the, yeah. like her because her body's like all contorted and almost in pieces and like it's just been grinded through the gears of the clock it's the most metalocalypse shit it's like you yeah. know blood clock <laughs> yeah. well and she's just like looking at kung fu like not even staring like with this blank face of just like staring at her yeah so the three remaining girls uh prof fantasy and kung fu they kind of barricade themselves into like this one main central room and start reading through the diary. Oh, and it has the cat picture, like the picture of, of Blanche, the white yeah, cat. Yeah, there's like a portrait of the cat in this room. And you, you've seen it a couple times throughout the movie. And again, Gorgeous's giant head pops in and kind of starts telling the story about the ant. So we kind of get the second half of this, the ant story where we find out that she actually died years ago. So whoever this like spectral image has been, it's some kind of ghost or, you know, demon or something like that. So she died years ago waiting for her fiance to return from the war and you know all that remains in the house is her spirit and the spirit needs these like unmarried virginal girls to like consume their energy and their youth to like keep the house going and to remain living forever forever waiting on the fiance to return yeah um and they even say like her body remained even though she died and you're not quite sure if this is like her ghost that just became like twisted by hate and hatred and waiting or if this is like the body left behind now the body the husk of the body was is now inhabited by some evil spirit or something and so this was something I wanted to cone back to like the innocence of Japan and possibly like them not just having the context of the war like the generation before them had. Something that I, I talked to Lauren and, and Jonathan at, at about right after watching this movie is that one of the more horrifying ideas that this movie captures is this is one of the demons that spawned from the war. This Instead of the demon being mad at like the United States for dropping the atomic bomb or war in general for taking her husband, she instead is now taking out her anger for her husband dying or going missing and never returning on the Japanese youth because of their ignorance and their innocence of just not understanding the context of that war. So while she lived through all this horror, while she's seeing all these virginal happy-go-lucky girls, and there's almost like primal jealousy or primal just hatred of their own innocence and ignorance. So to punish them, she's consuming them because she maybe the youth is wasted. Youth is wasted on the young in her mind. So we we've mentioned a couple times now that they have to be. I guess, virginal in order for the house to eat them. And earlier you guys were talking about Mr. Togo being such a creep for wanting to go with them. But wouldn't that just follow that had he gone along with them, they would all still be alive? I don't know if this is a joke or if you're making a, a great point. 
I don't know either at this point. Because, <laughs> like... It's just weird. Well, okay, so even if it was a completely, like... Say he's, like, asexual. Just someone that age hanging out with, like, a group of, like, girls that... Like, someone of the opposite gender, like, that age. That just seems weird. Um, but, and it should be noted that while all this crazy shit is happening, he is making his way to the house, but he keeps <laughs> yeah. running into things that hold him up. Like, he Look, first... Noodle Man popped up yeah, right around yeah, yeah. Noodle, noodle Man popped... and Noodle Bear. Noodle Bear, like, he stops for ramen, <laughs> eats ramen, like, he's stuck in traffic. There's a part where he's stuck in traffic, but he's stuck in traffic literally with nothing but those giant fucking Decatoro trucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's some Japanese subculture that I can totally fucking get into. You know, that needs to catch on here. Totally. <laughs> Totally. I, occasionally I see 18-wheelers that are just, like, totally tricked out. I want some fucking, like, Mecha Godzilla 18-wheelers rolling around America. That's what I want to see. Just lights and, like, all kinds of bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we put some Eastern culture over this way, yeah. and that it needs to start there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there is definitely a part where uh, Mr. Toe goes at a noodle bar, and there is a bear serving noodles along with the regular chef, and he's just kind of there hanging out in the background. Well, not just any bear. A bear wearing the full, like, uniform. Yeah, like, He totally. showed up ready to work. <laughs> with the chef hat and everything. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so he's, like, slowly making his way toward the village, and eventually, you know, he kind of gets lost on the way, and this kind of goes back to what I was about to say a minute ago. I think, you know, obviously the cat sets a lot of this in motion, because the cat's the one that, like, makes him trip, fall into the bucket, and then, like, not be able to bring the girls, right? So kind of in the same way, he also gets lost on the way, even though he's taking the same path. So there's something about, like, the house not opening itself up to him for him to find and get to Mm -hmm. that maybe, like, the house is purposely conspiring to keep him away. To the point where when he gets to the village with the watermelon man, I love that the watermelon man is just like, what's your favorite fruit? And the guy's just like, not watermelons, fuck no. And the watermelon man like backs up and just like, oh no, turns skeleton and like dies. <laughs> and it's bananas. Yeah. He says bananas yeah, he, and he kills the watermelon man. freaking out screaming bananas, which that comes back around in a little bit. That whole scene was bananas. That, yeah. I was very confused. And I think part that's of That's gotta is- be a yokai thing too. The, the bananas? Yeah. bananas. It's gotta be. I don't know if that's a... I don't think bananas are a yokai. Well, I wonder if it was... So yeah, watermelon what? bananas. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I meant, yeah. So with Mr. Togo, like, making his way to the house... I kept expecting that to be the thing that breaks, quote-unquote, breaks the curse, like, yeah. ends it. Where I thought it was going to be, okay, so the aunt is waiting for this man to come and marry her, and then, like, a man shows up. How convenient. And, that's yeah. what I, and the way that the girls were... Like, yeah, like, the way... <laughs> That fantasy is like Mr. Togo's coming, and then they have that lovely scene of him like riding to to her in a yeah. prince's clothes, and like yeah, it looked that's like what I I really thought that was was what was going to happen is yeah. he was going to show up, and it was going to be like okay, well now the again it's not a curse, but the curse is broken. Sure, yeah, and then he becomes a pile of bananas. So <laughs> <laughs> instead, he just becomes a pile of bananas, because bananas, bananas, bananas. <laughs> Which could I mean, the watermelon curse is not yeah. a banana curse. I no, guess that, scene just reminded me of something out of uh, out of a Christmas story really. Yeah. It was like one of those kind of fantasy moments. Yeah and I guess that could speak to like Derek what you're saying about the hatred and the bitterness festering where it's almost like I don't even like want the man anymore I just once you just get into that hate like you just want to keep going with the hate. So (laughs) 
the wacky is showing me uh, some some banana related yokai. Well, it's not a real yokai. Um, so there's a video game called Yokai Watch on uh, the 3DS. Okay. It's kind of like a Pokemon-esque. I don't know. I've never really played it. But, but you're catching yokai. yokai instead? Yeah, you're supposed to be catching Yokai, but they make up their own like Yokai. And so I googled Banana Yokai, and there's one named Bananos. Okay. And it just has a banana for a nose, and it evolves into Cocoa Banana, which is literally just the same banana nose thing, but with chocolate on it. So, <laughs> so, so, so it's a bloof Yokai. Yeah, basically. <laughs> He's worth a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of money inside of him. <laughs> um, There's always money in the bananas. <laughs> so the three remaining girls, uh, Prof, Kung Fu, and Fantasy, um, again, they have like all like kind of barricaded themselves into this central room. And now that they know, like, oh shit, we have to take out the fucking cat to get out of the house. Um, they like put that two and two together, but as soon as that happens, all the shit in the room starts attacking them. So like all these household items are flying around. This is again where the like the umbrella comes in, and there's like a mop and a broom and all this other bullshit that's flying around attacking them. Kung Fu doesn't Kung give a like, fuck. She's beating the fuck out of all these things, <laughs> yeah. right? And they were like, okay, you gotta take out the portrait of the cat. So she goes to like attack the cat portrait, but there's a chandelier hanging from the ceiling that immediately like fucking picks her up and is flinging her around the room. And you just see like her body and her arms and legs dangling out of the bottom of it as, as it's like munching down on her. And at one point, just her legs, like just the bottom half of her body, like detaches itself and like kung fu dragon kicks across the fucking room with just and, her legs. And that the- her theme plays yeah, the one yeah. last time as she dragon kicks, like, the, fucking kicks the shit out of the out of the cat portrait. Kung fu is the best. Yeah, yeah. she's my favorite character in this movie. And like earlier on, because there's also an old timey phone in the foyer, and they they try and use it to like call the police a couple times. At one point, kung fu tries to use it and it doesn't work so it like attacks her Mm -hmm. and she just fucking spin kicks the thing off the wall in her final moments she uh, doesn't give a fuck still and kicks the shit out of that cat picture which immediately the cat picture starts shrieking it like goes back to like uh, gorgeous slash the aunt holding the cat and the cat kind of like keels over for a second in her arms the cat portrait turns from like a regular cat portrait into like a demon cat portrait and starts like spewing blood into the room yep (laughs) Um, so the room starts like literally filling up with like the cat's blood and the house's blood and the floor breaks away and there's like all this water it's obviously water that's like dyed red and there's red lights but it's meant to be like blood or like stomach acid or something but uh, the girls are basically just on like the raft of like a piece of the floor mm-hmm. and um, you know they're all trying to finish reading through the diary to kind of find like the last information that they need and all of a sudden this like jar with teeth comes out of the water and pulls prof off the little raft and into the water where basically she gets dissolved mm-hmm. starting, like, like, starting again with the clothes yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. stomach acid or something like all of her clothes fall off as she's like flailing in the water and it basically just dissolves her and this was like an interesting video effect where they basically did like blue screen chroma key kind of stuff where they suspended her from the ceiling and had her like flailing around while people off stage were like throwing blue paint on her mm. and so like regular blue screen they just like pulled the blue out 
little by little as it splattered on her to make it look like she was dissolving. Was there also this moment where like it shows her head and there's like this weird uh, painting behind her of all these blue heads like looking and she's like looking up with the Yeah, blue like heads. once she's in the water, she's like starts it's almost like vision. It's almost like they're like when they're eaten, they almost like are transported to other out of this fucking world dimensions. Yeah, and there's like all these other like body parts of the other girls floating around, and as all the well. and they all like talk to her as well. Yeah, like, as she's going through these weird dimensions. But eventually, fantasy is like on the chunk of like raft floor, and she scoots through like a window to get out of that particular room, and she kind of makes her way toward the staircase because we see gorgeous in the bridal gown again standing at the top of the staircase. So Fantasy paddles over and like crawls up onto the stairs. Gorgeous, you know, walks down toward her and Gorgeous is now fully the ant. And the ant is like completely young and like dark hair and completely like almost looks exactly like Gorgeous but is Gorgeous if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, she sits down on the stairs. Fantasy kind of crawls up in her lap and like lays her head on her and you know kind of starts singing a little bit um and then it kind of fades to black yeah as uh as she's cradling fantasy yeah it fades to black and Ryoko, who is Gorgeous's new stepmom, um, she decides, like, oh, yeah, I will go pay a visit, like, as a gesture of goodwill. Like, I'll meet the aunt, and I'll go visit and spend time with Gorgeous. She arrives at the village and finds the village deserted, finds that Mr. Togo has literally turned into a fucking pile of bananas in his car, <laughs> and she thinks nothing of it, keeps going to the house. Yeah. Yeah. She walks around the house and, you know, is kind of in like full fantasy mode with the sunshine coming up and the wind blowing. Well, it's like a music video starts at this point, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the you house saying, is beautiful. Like yeah. everything is like all of the plants are growing. Like everything is very like pristine. It's, it's yeah, pristine. Yeah, it's like the complete opposite of when they first got there and everything was falling apart. So gorgeous walks out at this point, like makeup, kimono, and everything else. Like all the doors fly open, and she's just kind of magically there. The movie ends with like gorgeous and Ryoko kind of like meeting and like putting their hands together in like a weird kind of handshake gesture almost and Ryoko like literally catches on fire and and right before that so she says like they're they're making idle talk of like oh are your friends awake yet and Gorgeous says my friends aren't awake yet but they'll wake up soon and they will be hungry yeah is what she says they always wake up when they're hungry yeah and then that's like when she kind of like they they make exchange of pleasantries and then like she kind of just looks at her and literally burns Ryoko go away to nothing. Yeah. And the the last like kind of message of the movie is kind of interesting which is just you know the memory of your loved ones like lives in your like own experience and your memories of them and like it will always be alive there even if they're not like physically alive with you you know so like embrace that for what it is and be thankful like for that instead of you know longing for them to still be there with you because that just can't happen but etc so and, and what happens to Ryoko did this come off as a darker ending to you guys or just kind of more of a strange it's kind of melancholy melancholy yeah because yeah, 
for such a goofy, ridiculous movie, like, even when all that crazy shit, like, all the girls are getting killed off, like, it's always done, like, really out of this world goofy and, and crazy. But Ryoko was kind of the one that really, it mirrored Gorgeous turning into the aunt with, like, catching in flames, her face literally peeling off, and there's just fire. Ryoko's death was very straightforward, kind of horrific, if you think about it. And it, for such a goofy movie, it has such a dark ending and sinister implications, basically. So I would actually say, I think it wasn't as dark as it could have been. So what I kind of expected, or what you would expect from a, a horror movie, is to have that moment of her saying, like, well, where are your friends? And she says, well, my friends are asleep. They always wake up when they're hungry, which is very ominous and that very sinister. And you would expect a cut at that point. Yeah. Like, you have that moment, maybe she smiles at the camera, cut. But I think actually to go beyond and to show Ryoko burning, that combined with the message at the end felt much more melancholic to me. Yeah. Like, I think it would have been... I was expecting the sinister ending of like, okay, well, here we go again. Like, it's yeah. still there. It's all still kind of festering. But it did. It just didn't feel quite as... It was definitely dark, but it didn't feel... not. It didn't feel hopeless, I will say. Sure. Like, yeah. Hopeless is the word I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. It was like, okay, well, there was a bit it, of a bow on the end. Well, and it fit the movie. It fit the, the ending fit the movie extremely well, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't leave you like hanging or anything. It just it, it, it's just that melancholic beat. And again, like when Ryoko's walking through the village and she's like kind of like skipping and dancing her way in the pristine manner that she's been doing throughout the movie uh, to the house, I, I thought going back to earlier the line by the watermelon man where he says all the young girls in our village are now gone. Mm -hmm. And that's such a crazy implication of like the house ate them all like she yeah. ran out of her sources in the village so now she's going after mm -hmm. her own niece and her friends and even oh. in earlier in the in the movie uh she mentions whenever they get there like she's been waiting for so long to see gorgeous yeah, yeah. i mean that's part of it right there she just wanted to eat her yeah well i wonder too it did kind of bring it back to the idea that all this is very sad so you can take the story of okay the woman waiting for uh, her fiance to come back that there is it, it does start off from a place of tragedy and you can take it as well now she's this monster and you can make it into this like horror show but then to bring it back which it does become with the piano etc but then to bring it back at the end and say well no actually this is all very tragic yeah. at the bottom line this is tragic and it does go back to the idea of the consequences of the war and like dropping the bomb where it's you do have these macro consequences of clearly a city is gone people are gone there's horrific effects but there's also in people's daily lives it's like yeah. okay well a woman is waiting for a man who will never come back well yeah and the two final points i want to make are in retrospect like maybe not at the time like last night when we were watching it but in retrospect because i thought about this on and off throughout the day the scariest part of this movie to me is the ending um what happens to ryoko is honestly the scariest part of the entire experience when you go back and analyze it and think about it at least to me it is while all the others are done in such a ridiculous manner it's just, uh, again i thought it was just very straightforward horrific um, and then uh, the other point I wanted to make is that this movie is a reminder that the best horror movies, especially the best ghost story horror uh, and the ghost stories in general, 
uh, are based out of tragedy and family, in my opinion. Like the best ones, the scariest ones are always out of a place that involves your family and involves tragedy. Maybe that's, that. I've always heard that about uh, Haunting of Hill House, is that's why it's such a good, yeah. scary show, is because it's all about family and tragedy. Now, on the point of like her waiting forever for her fiance to come back, I legitimately thought there for a while in the movie uh, that Dancing Skeleton Man was her fiance. <laughs> brought back basically through the house too like eat all the girls and then like the house is going to bring him back to life yeah. too but that didn't happen it turns out he was just a dancing skeleton yeah <laughs> he's just a mr skeleton but hey even though we thought the cat died in that one scene where she kicks the painting cat was alive at that area and so yeah. another horror movie where the pet survives yeah <laughs> yep the house too one of the few is coming <laughs> Man, I wish. I wish somebody would like. I wish some like new crazy like art house director from Japan would make a sequel to this I, now. Like not a remake, but like a direct sequel now, and like retranslate it somehow or another, and have like a new angle to the story, Cat and house. just do like insane practical effects again. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like I think make it modern times. Like the house has still been there this entire time. Yeah, that's time. what I'm saying. And, like do like a like forty years later kind of sequel. Zero. CGI whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. I think if it was a movie called Cat House, though, it would be a very <laughs> movie. <laughs> I, once again, don't understand what you're talking about. Lauren, can you explain this to I'm me? I'm talking about a, mo- a house full of cats. A la Jackson Galaxy's house, probably. <laughs> <laughs> With lots of toys and shelves lining the walls. And, and uh, Boxes for food. Mansfield, kind of like Phantasm. Did this movie that came kind of out of nowhere and was crazy... Did this have a lot of influence on other like horror directors or like Sam Raimi and people of like? So I I doubt it because this movie came out only like a year before they like really like actively were making Evil Dead. Right. And I guarantee you, like they weren't like in fucking Michigan or Detroit or wherever like Raimi was specifically from. I think he was from Detroit. Like, they weren't watching this movie. Like, well, it wasn't here in America. I don't, I don't so, necessarily like, mean, like, around that time. I just mean now. Like, even modern horror mo- filmmakers, do you think this movie is, like, extremely influential on them? I don't think so, necessarily, because I cannot think of anything that's come out in the last decade since this movie hit the States and really became, like, a cult hit here once people could see it. I cannot think of a single movie that is... Anywhere anything like this at all. <laughs> anything like this. Like I think it's something that people look back on as like this kind of like interesting oddity that people have a lot of like reverence for as a weird cult thing. But A, I don't think that like we can wrap our heads around it enough to like do any kind of like refiltered version of that same energy and feel. Mm-hmm. And B, I don't fucking think special effects are at a point anymore where you could make something this visually interesting the, the best uh, Easily, instantly in know. my mind I thought the the best hope like we would have as an American audience is that Tim and Eric like did yeah. something like, so, like, yeah, like, Tim and Eric did right house now, yeah absolutely <laughs> fucking like Tim and Eric is the closest approximation because there is some like, the look and the feel and the energy there is some sinister movie. shit in Tim and Eric sometimes oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why I loved this movie so much too because I am a huge fan of those two yeah 
I mean, that, that's totally like where a lot of that feel and energy comes from is that weirdness. Um, and like all the video effects and all that kind of bullshit like that, it's totally the same feel. And that's the closest approximation I can think of because there are no like movie movies that are close to this. The only thing that I could think of would maybe be Kuso, which was Flying Lotus's movie. That movie is more just like vignettes rather than like a holistic story, but he uses a lot of different animation styles throughout it. That movie is fucking disgusting, but like it's just full of like people with like pimples and herpes and literal like piles of alien shit and stuff like that. Like it's just weird buttholes and like roach <laughs> guts and stuff. Like it's it's a gross movie, but like visually that's kind of maybe the closest thing I can think of. Yeah. I'm just imagining like a sequel to this movie starring instead of the aunt, just uh, Doctor Steve Rule. Just <laughs> <laughs> goes to this house to uh, <laughs> yeah, Tim and Eric. Hey, cat. <laughs> yeah, that would be fantastic, right? What, what are you doing over there, Miss Kitty Cat? Come over just sit in my lap. <laughs> yeah, just get Tim and Eric to direct a sequel to House and have Dr. Steve Brohl be the main character. Uh, I'm taking a trip to Japan. Yeah, I'm fucking down. Over here, just hanging out in this house, eating sushi. I mean, but that being said, like, Eric Wareheim has directed some really just kind of Odd and like creepy I love scenes. His music video. Yeah, his yeah. music videos, like the music. For I love that tobacco music the video. The tobacco music yeah. video immediately came to mind, and the one he did for Monsieur Weezo, uh, yeah. Ham. Yeah, like those two. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that would like I think he would nail the aesthetic and style you need for House. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, I wonder too with House, it's almost like an art house film but oh, it's totally, done yeah. in such a style because we are used to like polish in art house films yeah and this movie is a lot of things but it is not polished yeah it's like raw me. experimental energy and yeah and that's the thing is like it's this weird degree of everything's person like purposeful there's all this detail like it's all everything is meant to be as it is but what it is is something so different yeah from anything else along that vein totally yeah but uh, any final thoughts, anyone? Anything else that y'all want to... Final thoughts? I really enjoyed it. I'm actually really glad because I this was not on my radar at all. I've seen some Japanese horror, but a lot of it is the kind of slow-paced, like the original Grudge and like Ringu, Ringu and sure, Dark yeah, Water yeah. and that kind of stuff. And this was just amazing. I really yeah. liked it. And the whole time we've been recording, y'all... Uh, Cats have been all around us. Great cats. Yeah, and granted, not not white fluffy yeah. cats, but cats. Yeah, if there's a fire, we are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, is there anything y'all uh, wanted to plug for like own personal projects or anything like that? No. Twitch channels. Or... I don't no. social media. Yeah, I don't really. Uh, I don't really tweet. I mean, I have a Twitter, but I don't really do anything with it. I don't really do anything social media wise. Um, I'll third that, and I'll also say thanks to uh, Derek because he's been handling basically all of our social media. <laughs> and I try to stay off that shit. And thanks, Taryn, because he does all the editing, and I want nothing to do with that, so I will handle the social yeah. media. <laughs> if I weren't also promoting this podcast, I would not have a Facebook. So <laughs> it is all thanks to Derek for that. And, and on that note, uh, we would like to thank Jesse for our opening and closing themes on the podcast. Like always, check out his uh, Bandcamp Party Game and check out opossums um yep and uh if you are in the memphis area around the time that goner fest happens definitely go check them out they are playing that saturday um so yeah if you are in the area definitely go give them a listen 
And uh, we, once again, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and the Podcoin app. And Podbean. And Podbean. Our website is on Podbean. All the relevant links are on our show's website. We are on Twitter and Facebook at Watch If You Dare. Um, please follow us and talk to us. Recommend us movies, whatever you want to do. Uh, please continue rating and reviewing us on iTunes. We're actually pretty close to 200 ratings on iTunes, which is fucking incredible. Um, thank you once again to everyone who's done that, and thank you for all the continued support. And that's all I got. I do have something I'd like to plug, actually. Okay, go Cats. for it. Cats. Yeah. Just uh, in general. <laughs> in general. The concepts. Uh, I love cats. Uh, so if you are using PodCoin, uh, think about using some of your extra coins to donate towards cat shelters. I know that. Uh, it think... would work really well for the movie that we just watched. Um, yeah, because even though Blanche was an evil demon, uh, it was she, very cute. She still relied on the kindness of strangers. Yep. <laughs> yep. She did, and also she was really good at delivering letters. And <laughs> the best villain in cinema history, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, cats. That's what I want to plug. Yeah. あなたの体にこの手が触れたら小鳥も眠る時間です心の振り子は寂しく揺れますあなたは